in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmick. Who are you? He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. That's what I'm talking about, man. Wait a minute, I know you. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. I know that, dude. He's a modern-day Yoda. I'm your huckleberry. Allow myself to introduce myself. Greetings and salutations. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. You're excited. <laughs> Feel these nipples. That boy's good. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Sportos and motorheads, geek bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> All right. All right, all right. It's Wednesday, March 23rd. It's the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM. You know it better as the Big X. Trevor Kelsey's out today, and I had to do this because Trevor gets so mad about it. He's so mad when I bring Sean Moth on when he's not around. He's a gigantic (laughs) Sean Moth fan, and so I texted him right when Sean was able to say, yeah, I can do the show today, which was a lifesaver. I let TK know like five seconds later. I'm like, hey, Trevor, Sean's coming in. And he sent me a Photoshop of, I don't even know what the movie reference is. It's classic Trevor. It's like some sort of 80s movie reference that I just don't get. But it's a sad, I recognize the actor. I'll show you. Maybe you know, Sean. But he just, it's the actor looking at the, the screen, very upset. And it just says, it's Sean Moth Day underneath it. And he's like, I'm going to start lying about when I go out of town so that you'll bring in Sean Moth when I'm actually here. This is, uh, But Sean Moth is in studio today, the incomparable at Cards PA on Twitter. You know him, you love him. We're talking to him until 6 o'clock. If you want to interact, if you've got questions for myself or for Sean, hit us up on the Thornton's text line. It's your show, too. We love hearing from you. It's the best way to interact with us. Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, topics, whatever. Text us at 502-414-1450. Also, stop by one of the 18 billion area Thornton's locations. They got the best gas, they got the best food inside, and they've got the best app, which is the Refreshing Rewards app. Download that bad boy today. It's going to save you money every time you need to fuel up, and Lord knows, you need to save money at the pump these days. It's the only way to make it happen. Download it today, and text us at the Thornton's tax line. Sean, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? Hanging in there. I like the pullover, the quarter zip. That's that's high quality. Go Knights. It's good stuff. I, f- fun story. I've brought this up on, on the show before, so I, I, I have to say that, so I'm not like, oh, I'm just bragging about this. <laughs> I did the... I think you may have done this before, too. The, the pregame speech for a Bellarmine game. Oh, no. Okay. No, I've never been. That, well, that, that's way, way above me. Well, they asked me to do it, like, in 2017. So I, did, I was the honorary captain. Yeah. And I realized very quickly, like, my only Bellarmine apparel is shirts and, and long sleeve shirts. And this is the dead of winter. This was, like, late January. So I go to the Bellarmine. The day that I have to do this, like, I, I cut over to the Bellarmine store, buy this bad boy, go back, do the radio show, go back to Bellarmine, do the speech, triumphantly, heroically, some would say, lead the Knights to a 31-point win over McKendry College, wow. and the rest is history. But I do like this. It was, it was from the, the store. That's a savvy move. It That's was. a very savvy you move. Nobody's better than this guy Davenport. Oh, my I God. Mean, it's just... So the best part about the whole experience is McKendry College, by the way, had the head coach, because I looked over at the sidelines, and 
I'm like, this guy's 9,000 years old. Like, like he's like, like, who is this guy? And I looked at the game notes and it says something like his 57th year at McKendree wow. college. He, if you look it up, like I'm assuming he's still coaching now. He's the all time wins leader, any level of college basketball ever. Like he's won 50,000 games because he's been coaching forever. What was his record against Peck Hickman? Not great. <laughs> Not great. Oh, and wow. seven, I believe. That's incredible. But they were, I think he's been kind of on the downslide. And so they, Bellman was expected to beat McKendry pretty handily in this game. Sure. It gets late in the first half, and it's still like a four-point game. And, you know, Scotty has been just focused on the team, focused on the team. And Mary and I are sitting behind the bench. And finally, Scotty looks back and goes, is this pregame speech ever going to bleep and kick in? <laughs> <laughs> finally, it did in the second half. Probably what I miss most about doing basketball games is just hearing the interaction with the coaches. And there were plenty of opposing coaches. I was always closer to the opposing coach uh, when it came to men's basketball and then Jeff Walls with with the women, Mm -hmm. which which was great because Jeff is – if you can sit behind the Louisville women's bench, it's worth the price of admission, whether the team plays well or not. I've done it once, and it's awesome. It was awesome. fantastic. But opposing coaches are fun, and and I I always tell the story that I've had – three coaches come down the line and shake the hand of everybody at the scores table mm-hmm. in my 30 years of doing games. And one was a women's coach at Pitt. And I swear her name was like Augie, like Augie Baronado or something. She actually kind of sounds like vaguely familiar. Six, four, like a, just a, a, a large, tall basketball like woman. And curiously enough, the other two were Tubby Smith. Okay. Which was phenomenal. And it wasn't just a handshake. It was a thank you. you know, appreciate you being here. Very cool. And uh, Pat Summit, which was kind of okay. an honor. In the yeah. first game ever at the Yum Center, so I'm really glad it wasn't somebody that I hated. I was I was just waiting for you to be like Bruce Pearl. I I swear to God, I thought you were going to say because that seems like a pastor move. Yeah, uh, I I remember his time vividly, but I do miss <laughs> I do miss hearing the coaching interaction. And Kevin Willard was always good for you know chatting with the scoring crew and and some of the old folks because he he remembers all of us. Sure. And, you know, Mick was the same way during his time, and so. That that was always fun, but Scotty Scotty had his own personality. I just never really got to see it because he was always sitting down. So let me just jump out of the gate here with the the fully inappropriate three o'clock hour afternoon drive question to you. That's what we do? Does does Louisville owe it to play at Bellarmine in men's basketball? Would would that be a game at Freedom Hall that would just be epic? It would be fantastic. It also, I mean, on one hand, it's technically a road game against a low major which power conference teams don't ordinarily do on the other it's freedom hall and you have to assume that even though it's a bellarmine home game you would have as many probably more louisville fans in attendance for that so i don't think that would be a primary concern like bellarmine having this gigantic home court advantage and you do see this like i love when a couple of the north carolina schools have done this recently because you know there are 7500 d1 programs in the state of north carolina for some reason but i think it was I think UNC played at, oh man, who was it? They played at Davidson one year. I know that at sure. their gym, but it was even. They it, do an Elon. Maybe like, it was one of those schools, and I know Furman's in South Carolina, but I right. think they played at Furman one yeah. time because the, the schools are relatively close. Like I always love when when that happens. Yeah. And you know we played at College College of Charleston one year because Rick's daughter Jacqueline was going to school there pretty sure. much, but. It just to give those schools an opportunity to host you in their, you know, sometimes thirty two hundred seat yeah. gyms. Played it, at Northern, it, I think. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We opened there. It was their first D one game. Yeah. It was an exhibition, but it was their first home game at their new gym. Grand Canyon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> fine with not going back there. We can say that, but this would be different than that. Yeah. yeah. This would be unless they play the game at Knights Hall, which I don't think they're no, going to do. No. But 
I'd like to see it happen just for the to see Louisville play a game at Freedom Hall again. Although I do kind of hate it, you know, sullying the memory of the last game that we played at Freedom Hall, which was as close to perfect as you can possibly agreed. have. Fully agreed. But I like that they're playing the next two years. I'm, I'm thinking that you could probably declare it a neutral site game in terms of the technicalities with the record books. I'm pretty sure that the NCA would would allow that. Even hey, you don't want you don't want that if you're court. Louisville though. You want that net. You want that top that 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 added well, bonus true. of winning a road the, game. The actual road game. So it's um I don't know. It was just a thought that popped into my head. And I like it. Electric could be because I regretfully I haven't been to a Knights game, and part of it for me is what you just said. I I don't want to set foot in Freedom Hall again because the last time I walked out of there with a piece of the net yeah, and gosh. photos with some great people that I worked with. I, there's very few memories that are better than that one. And so it's kind of hard for me to go back and, you know, all the smells and sights and sounds. and It does all come back. Yeah. The first time I've been back since that game was we were at the State Fair with, with like oh, friends. Yeah. And we went in the, you know, in Freedom Hall and they're doing, obviously it's different. You've got cattle there. You've got all the farmery shows. <laughs> but the feeling like was still the same. Yeah. Like you walk in there and you in the senses come back. And even with all the animals and stuff, the smells are the same oh, yeah. in the, the concourse. And this year was the first time I've been to a game uh, okay. at Freedom Hall since then of any sort. I know there have been some high school games there and they, they still did the Derby Classic before it went bunk um, a few years after Louisville moved to the Yum Center. And of course, the first game we go to, Jacksonville State shoots like 17 of 25 from three and Pellerman never really in the game, but it was still a, a fantastic experience. I love that they're playing there. Um, but you know, Louisville will play Bellerman the next two years as part of the deal where basically we got to have Freedom Hall yeah. for the, the for volleyball tournament and they backed away and made other arrangements to make this happen. And, and I'm glad that there's really no excuse for these two programs not to be playing, especially with Bellerman now having so much more notoriety than they had even a year ago nationally. I mean, it's a program that people talk about. Almost better for them to not make the tournament because of the technicality from a national publicity standpoint. Long-term, like more, absolutely. More people talked about for it, sure. but regretfully, I don't think it was the best for the program. But yeah, I didn't even make it to Freedom Hall for the volleyball. I did the preceding NCAA games on ACC Network. I did play-by-play on those. And then I went to the big, you know, the big network, the big show, mm-hmm. the big the big ship. And so I was no longer talent. And so I, I mold going out there, but part of me just said, you know what, let's just enjoy this from afar, and, and uh, yeah, so I'd, I've kind of struggled with that. But I'd be intrigued. I, I, I feel like I really do want, I feel like I owe it to Scotty to, to go support him at one point. Absolutely. I, I used to go to Knights Hall once a year, and it was just, a lot of times it was a cards would play at 2 on a Sunday, and maybe Bellerman had the, the 4 o'clock game, and so on my way home I'd just kind of sneak over there and, and drop in and, yeah. and kind of watch, but... While we're on the topic, there was some news related to Bellarmine basketball today that was of of interest. Um, Dylan Penn, who's been arguably their best player the last couple of years. He was the MVP of the Atlantic Sun Tournament, which Bellarmine won. Mm-hmm. not sure if you guys have been reading the news recently. <laughs> uh, he announced he's entering the transfer portal as a grad mm. transfer today. And I wonder if there's a there's supposed to be a vote next month by the Coaches Association that could potentially eliminate or lessen the transitional probation period for the NCAA tournament for schools making the move to D1. It may get kicked to early May. As of right now, it's scheduled to be voted on in April. Right now, it's the transition period. It's four years. If you make the move to D1, you can't play in the NCAA tournament for four years. I think there's a strong amount of momentum to either abolish the rule completely or at least knock it down to two years. And Bellman's already served its two years. So if that happens, if either one of those options happen, Bellman's eligible for the 2023 NCAA tournament. And I wonder if that would change the decision of a guy like Dylan Penn, who, I mean, you have to assume 
this experience played a part in his decision to to make a move. I, I'm not going to pretend to know all the the ins and the outs of what went on there, but you know he's been at Bellarmine for four years, all four of his seasons. He played at the D2 level. He made the transition to D1, yeah. and now you know if you're Dylan Penn and you're sitting there staring at what you just accomplished and looking ahead to what is on the table for next year, you probably say, "We've done all there is to do. Like sure. I, I won the conference championship. This is you know that's the pinnacle of being at a low major school." And I didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament last year. It sucked. It probably made him more mad as time has gone on. Yeah. And now you look ahead to next year, and it's, it's a whole lot of work to get back to the same place. And if nothing changes, have the exact same result if you win the conference tournament. So yeah. uh, you get where he is. But hopefully, maybe he would hold out on making a decision, on making a move until there's a vote on that rule. And yeah. I wonder if the Davenports have talked to him about that. Well, and it's like picking at an old wound. But, I mean, we we have all the examples we need with the Damian Lees and Quan Fours and Christian sure. Cunninghams and all the, these guys that – that they want that grad year to be the year that they get to dance. And and so you know, it's it's kind of hard to blame a kid, no question. Let's talk uh, before we uh, – there's several things that I want to talk about with Sean today. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the Kenny Payne festivities of the last week and where we move from there, all that good stuff. But you know, you do call baseball. We love hearing the, the dulcet tones of, of Sean Moth calling cards baseball on a you know, pretty much daily basis. Yeah. Yesterday, not a great day for the Cardinal Nine after a fantastic weekend where they sweep Notre Dame. They vault back in all the national rankings. They're number 15 in Baseball America. And it's a group that has struggled a little bit with midweek games so far this season. They lose to Lipscomb yesterday. And I know, you know, if you don't follow college baseball and kind of the, the, the quirky inner workings of the regular season where, you know, so much is focused on the three game sets of the weekend. And, you know, you could we play Kentucky on Tuesday and you're throwing like sometimes a freshman who's pitched two innings. Absolutely. The entire season gets the start there. It's just the way that the sport is set up. It's an odd setup. But people will see that and say they just swept Notre Dame, who I was told was God's gift to baseball going into this weekend. And they turn around and they lose to Lipscomb on Tuesday. How the hell does that work? It's I think I, these games count. Don't get me wrong. They count Absolutely. against your RPI. They count in, in, in everything. But it's different. And Louisville midweek this this year kind of struggling to find who the, who the right guy is. They haven't gotten the bats going as much in those games. Uh, what did you see yesterday from the guards? Well, I, I think the, the first the first chapter of this cautionary tale is that Notre Dame's a really good baseball team coming off of a great year. It's the first conference championship they've won since Louisville joined the Big East in 06. Ooh. So we we kind of ruined Notre Dame baseball. We had de- <laughs> We had defeated them 20 consecutive games. Before we lost last year, which in baseball is you play three game series. It's impossible to do. And so we've we've kind of owned Notre Dame and Notre Dame as good as they were. Except they were, when they claim the weather and they cancel series against fact, us like last year. Fact. And yeah. don't don't think that was not lost on, on Dan. And I'll tell you what, the other thing that, that Dan was not pleased with, and, and he even said so in his post game of Friday's game, is uh, the Notre Dame fans last year in that same weekend would not allow our fans in, but allowed their fans in. Because the, because of COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did not know that part of it. Oh yeah, not pleased. And he even said something <laughs> in the leadoff banquet. But anyway, let, let, to make it simple, Notre Dame's not number one. They're a really good team. I don't think they're the number one team in the country. They were number one in fielding percentage. They had four errors in 13 games, which is unheard of in college mm-hmm. baseball. They they literally have like nine grad students on the roster. They're the oldest team in college baseball. They were number two in ERA. It was 166 when they came in. It was 3.30-something when they went home. Whew. 
we put more runs on them in a three-game series than they'd given up in the previous 13 games. But they're not the number one team in the country. So while it was a quality series win, it maybe wasn't as glitzy as we like. And then, yeah, the midweeks are tough. And we we, we actually we haven't lost a midweek game this year, but they've been interesting. You know, uh-huh. we had to walk off Moorhead. We, we eked out a come-from-behind win against Xavier. Bellerman and NKU on back-to-back days kind of gave us a fight. And, yeah, you're working with your fourth, fifth, sixth best pitcher, and sometimes it's a staff day. And, honestly, I, I, I just think it was a letdown. It's You look at the lineup in terms of years, and it can be really deceptive. But the bottom line is is Christian Napchik is a second-year player. Jack Payton is a second-year player that's getting his first year of full-year playing time. Logan Beard, first full year of playing time. Cam Masterman's more of a veteran, but hasn't really been a regular in the lineup a lot. Ben Metzinger's a regular for the first time. Ben Bianco hasn't really been a regular at any point in time. Dalton Rushing's not necessarily been a regular. Isaac Humphrey the same way. You know, you're, you're bringing back a lineup where there's there's a lot of guys that have been around for a while, but haven't played a ton. And so the way they handled the success, despite what the coaches did to caution against that, was was maybe less than ideal. But at the end of the day, you really have to tip your cap to Lipscomb because you know how baseball works. Uh, Luke Seed gave up a two-out walk to uh, their three-hole hitter and their cleanup guy, who's their best player on the team, and ironically named Malik Williams, hit a three-run <laughs> jack. And that was the difference in the game. And we just, the offense couldn't find it. And some days you're the some days you're the bug, some days you're the windshield. And so you hate that loss, but, you know, you take it. And ultimately, the 18-game homestand, the Cards were able to go 15-3. and three, So. And what you just said, talking about having such a young and experienced group that maybe doesn't know how to understand or handle success, I think you saw that yesterday. Because yeah. it was almost like they kind of slept walk through the first few innings, and then it was like, okay, let's turn it on. Let's, yeah. let's get it going. They score a couple in the, the fourth and the fifth, or they score one in the fourth and the fifth. And you almost got the sense following the game that it was like, okay, they all assumed they were going to come back and win because they've done it a few times in midweek yep. games. And eventually that mentality is going to bite you. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a lesson learned. And, you know, Ben Mensinger, we're built differently as Trinity Baseball products. He should, you know, he, he knew. He had a couple of hits yesterday. He's, he was trying to do his part. He's handling stuff because, like I said, built different. That's how yeah. we are. The the pipeline's not dry either. Oh, I know. The uh, and, and, and I think one of the things I kind of like about my new situation as no longer a full-time employee at UofL, but an employee of Learfield, technically, mm-hmm. I can talk about recruits. Yeah. I can talk about signees. And so the, the, the pipeline, the Trinity, is uh, is going to continue to flow to Louisville baseball. And there's a number of guys on that team right now that have verbally committed that we're planning on having on campus. We, <laughs> I had a long conversation with the, a cross-checker for a major league team yesterday in the press box asking about some guys, asking about draft and We've got a class this next year and the year after. They're both top ten, and our, Eric Snyder and the, and, the, and the staff have done an amazing job. And we we mentioned a pitcher, pitcher that we're pretty excited about. We're a little worried we might lose to the draft, and and we mentioned him, and he was like, "Yeah, I saw him yesterday. You, you guys don't need to worry about it. getting him." He's <laughs> <laughs> ninety-five to ninety-seven with a hammer. Yeah, you guys it, know. it is amazing. Like we have, so I have a, a text group of all my old buddies who we used to play high school baseball with, and you know, I mean, we had. Great teams. Yeah. We we went to the state championship game my junior year. We were nationally ranked my senior year. And I mean, my buddy Dylan Lawson, who's in this group, like is now the hitting coach for the New York. Did Yankees. you get to finally release that? Oh yeah, <laughs> we we broke the news here on the Mike Rutherford show, which was wonderful. If you, all your Yankees news 
comes to be a 1450 the big x now but so we were talking this was a few months ago after they won state last year and we were looking at highlights of you know dalen lyle who ended up getting drafted and he had, had signed at louisville and now is playing professionally uh corbin dickerson who's just had tommy john too yeah i know dalen. which is which yeah. sucks corbin dickerson who's coming to louisville unless he like lyle gets drafted very high yeah. and we're looking and we're like these kids don't swing it the way we used to. Mm. I'm like, can you imagine pitching it? Like these kids, they look like they're professional. Like they have pro swings already. It's just a, a, I don't know if they're training them differently or what the game is, but it's as much as I loved my teams, as much as I thought we were really good. I don't, I mean, I think Daniel Lyle has taken me about 450 over the right yeah. field fence when I'm pitching. Uh, like these guys are very, very good and they're huge. Yeah. When, when I saw this, this year's freshman class on campus in the fall, it was, just days after the draft, and the team was working out. And I think 18 of the 19 freshmen were there, and Henry Davis was there. And I'm, these guys are working out with their shirt off, like on the field. And I, I like, I was embarrassing myself because I was just gawking at them. Like, are you kidding me? It's different these world. Are grown men. And my theory on it is, this video age that we live in now has allowed coaches at any level to execute training, coaching weightlifting nutrition techniques that were usually exclusive to Alabama football yeah. and all these other schools. And now everything's out for everybody to a point where even if a coach isn't going to explore it with his kids, if you're a motivated 14-year-old second baseman that's playing at you know, St. Margaret Mary, wherever, you can watch these videos and you can put in your own work and you can mold yourself into an elite athlete on your own. And it's it's you know it's like teaching yourself to play an instrument like it used to be, there there was work to do to do that now you, there's just YouTube videos exactly you can do it it's easy and so I feel like that video age has not only permeated the athletes but coaches at every level to a point where you're getting kids that are being hired by major league baseball clubs that just were math guys that love baseball analytics and studied in college you know it's just this whole new age of what what video and what technology can do to enhance is we're feeling its impact and I think it's a positive impact and it, it kind of reminds me of the the two effects that I recall in my lifetime one was the Tiger Woods effect when golf boomed about 15 years after he was a phenomenon because of all these kids that started thinking golf was fun and cool That's and, I started and playing now that. the playing field like when you look at the PGA like every week it's somebody different like there's not even the same three or four guys on the leaderboard every week unless it's you know somebody on a crazy hot streak and then the other one was the U.S. women's national soccer team. Yeah. And kind of the Title IX, you know, push where there weren't a lot of role models for female athletes that were also women. You know, a lot of those, you know, the Mia Hams of the world, they idolized, you know, Pele and, and, and other athletes. Well, now these young women can look to these incredible soccer athletes and now this incredible injection of female athletes. And, and it's had the same effect. And I think the video age is now having a similar impact on sports. Well, that, I mean, there's so much talk when Tiger was trying to come back about the injuries not being the biggest threat or the biggest hindrance to him being who he used to be instead of being the generation of golfers that he inspired, which is totally true. I mean, the PGA tour would not be nearly as strong if you hadn't had Tiger Woods coming yeah. and taking the sport by storm. I mean, my friends and I all started, we had no interest in golf really yeah. before 1995 rolled around and then we're playing you know, Crescent Hill every other day. We're out Cherokee, you know, Cherokee national Crescent thrill. Like we're playing yeah. the best courses in the city. Every single <laughs> five bucks, it's nine holes. All you can play. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it is, I, I love I'm talking about the technology and how everything has changed and stuff. I love being able to have old man stories already. Because oh. I, rem I remember, you know, when I'm playing sports growing up, my dad and his friends are, you know, they're like, 
when I was playing, but you know, we had leather balls and they didn't really bounce and yeah, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, okay, whatever. But now I look at the kids at Trinity, like they have video technology. They've got this brand new state of the art field over at St. Matthews. And I love being able to tell the story. Yeah. We were ranked number one in the state my junior year. We went to the state championship game. We played on the football field with the goalposts in play. Oh man. The goal. I mean, we would host these like top five matchups. That, like, you know, Ballard's coming here. We, we're bringing in Covington Catholic from out of state. Uh, you know, Versailles County's coming to play us. And they're expecting, I'm sure, something different than the worst dimension field in the state of Kentucky, 180 down the left field line, like 575 to right center. <laughs> and then we have to, you know, you meet before games and lay out the ground rules, oh, the yeah. little quirks of the ballpark. And they're like, so left field, if it hits that goalpost... <laughs> <laughs> you play it. And I mean, I, I was playing left field that year. And I remember like, you know, because the fence quite literally was like 220. And it's this tiny oh. fence. And so you're playing right next to the goalpost. And if somebody hits a routine fly ball to you, it ain't routine. You just had to find the goalpost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm blocking around the goalpost. I'm like, do I try to jive and catch it above the crossbar? Like, how do you handle all this? And not just that, but, you know, back in the day, this is a old school Trinity football field. This is not mm. the, the the move to turf. The field turf, yeah. We played my sophomore year. We were playing St. X. Uh, I was playing JV. And it's a close game. It's late. I'm playing center field. I'm coming up to a guy on second, routine single up the middle. I'm flying up to try to throw this guy at home. Ball bounces 17 feet <laughs> over my head because it hits a little puddle. And like I'm like, and then of course it's like 500 oh. feet back to the fence to go get the ball. Nobody's backing me up. I'm like, oh, well, no. it causes the game. And like everybody's like, it's not your fault. What are you gonna do? That was just the way it was. And now you know, kids don't understand this. And I love being able to tell them the old man story. Well, I, I realized my age just driving over here because I was enjoying drinking Fresca. I mean, that's really all I need to know about my age at this point in time. I, I Like, where have I come? What, what are, where am I right now? Um, that, uh, that that Brom kid was drafted by the Rockies, right? Oh, God. Was he any good at baseball? No. Terrible. <laughs> so, Brian was a junior when I was a senior. And, I mean, we just gave him crap constantly because we knew, obviously, he's a star. And Brian handled it so well like oh, he, yeah. no ego whatsoever it's why you know we were always good friends we always got along real well because i would just give him just crap all the time yeah because we would have games where he wouldn't play and whoever was there covering would talk to brian after the game like they'd be like <laughs> can we talk to brian real quick and we're like oh, I, and i would just be you know being a, a d word i was just like oh you want to talk about his 0 for 0 performance uh, his his uh pinch running in the seventh inning there but he he actually so he was not good my senior year he, he just being honest like he was not great his senior year, he was fantastic. Like th- when we graduated, like he hit like 480, like oh, hit okay. a bunch of home runs. He actually won the team MVP award, and it was so stark to where he was when when I was a senior that I, I would just tell them all like I don't believe you. He like, got he got rid of the anchor. Exactly, <laughs> the, yeah. the negativity all that of surrounded us. Like of it. No. <laughs> but like I would be like, no, there's there's no way. But he did. They you know they would. Everybody loves a great story, and he was on that Sports Illustrated cover where oh, yeah. they're talking about the you know three star athletes being dead and all that stuff, and. Like Brian played, he he was fine my, my my senior year, but he was not nearly as good as he apparently was his his senior year. Rumors have it. But they would look for, you know, they weren't going to post his averages or what he was hitting or what he was. So the only stat that they would throw out in that article and every article about him playing baseball was one of his throws from right field was clocked at 90 miles an hour on a gun, and I'm like, no, eh, was, was it really? But he did get drafted. He was Brian was very good at basketball, obviously very good at football, pretty good at baseball. I think Jeff was the far superior baseball oh, player from what I've heard. Highest draft pick in Louisville baseball history before Tristan Magnuson in Gosh, 07. Another guy I played with. Which is up. crazy. Yeah, yeah, Tristan. Boy, that was a great story. I am uh, I laughed about about Brian because the Rockies went on kind of a, a little stretch there where they just drafted high school and college quarterbacks 
like in the 40th round on a whim. Why did he still work out? They took Michael Vick, which obviously <laughs> really? now that kind of looks bad. But, <laughs> but at the time, you're like, well, that's kind of interesting, you know. So And, of course, there's plenty of Russell Wilsons of the world that, you know, John Elway's of the world that actually were pretty good minor league baseball players and made the decision and even leveraged that into uh, into playing football. So Texture on the Thornton's text line says, there are a few things that keep me from tuning into Big X Radio from 3 to 6 during my workday, but Sean Moth calling a Louisville baseball game is definitely one of those things. Not sure how I feel about that, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, didn't like, I didn't like having to go up against you. I don't I, like the 3 o'clock games. So. I, I understand. Trust me, I fully understand. Texture says, is Sean going to do Wordle? Because you know Trevor does Wordle. I do. At I, least he used to on yeah, the show. Yeah. And people would enjoy following him, getting very frustrated with this. Sure. Um, but so now every time somebody comes in and hosts when he's gone, they're like, he has to do Wordle. It's kind of one of the first things that I do in the day to kind of get the brain going. So unfortunately, I, I did it. And it wasn't a great day. But I've, I've always enjoyed the tactics of do I just go with the standard first word or do I just on a whim every day just try, try to get a into different one. first word? I've started doing that. I, I used to be, I, I think I went with ideas. A lot, and mouse because they gave you three vowels and mm-hmm. two decent consonants, and then I just started like just throwing things out. Like I think I started with pound the other day, just out of nowhere. And I started doing that. I got zero. You get zero, and you're like, ah, oh, son of a gun. I used to always go soapy, mm-hmm. and then I went crane. Okay. Because I think I saw mm-hmm. somewhere that that's like the best word to start. Like there was like a story. And when you think about the what is it the RLSTN, right? You know, the the wheel of fortune. Exactly. But now like I've gotten because I missed. I missed one on my own, like just didn't get it when I was sick, when I had that stomach bug a few weeks ago, which ruined my streak. Uh-huh. And then I missed a day like covering the NCAA tournaments, so, like I lost my streak there, just didn't play. And so now I've just been trying to get it in one. I've done it one time. <laughs> Have you really? Like the third time I ever played. Oh I guessed Solar, and it was Solar at Holy first guess. Shnikey. Yeah. So now I, I'm just trying for that. I'm not logged in in any way, so I do it on my phone, and literally every day is like one of one. So <laughs> the, the next day, the, the slate is wiped clean again, and so I, I just haven't even gone to the trouble of, I mean, I, I just do it on my browser. I don't even have an app to do it, but uh, it's enjoyable. I, I, it's clever. Now, there's a Wardle, if you're a big baseball fan. I've which seen that. I, I, don't, played. I don't know big league baseball well enough, but it's fascinating because you go to Wardle.com, and you just throw out a player you know, like Chris Bryant, and it will tell you position, bat throw, division. It gives you eight variables, and it shows you which ones are right. Oh, and so man. then you're trying to, okay, it's an NL guy, but I don't have the right division. Yeah, I couldn't do that. So that and, and I played it once. It was Jonathan India. I got it like five guesses, but I just don't know big league baseball players well mm-hmm. enough. You know I, Jonathan India. I Long. used to. Well, you've got to know He's that He's fantastic. One. The cross-checker was with the Reds, by the way. <laughs> That I talked to yesterday. It was a fascinating conversation. I oh, believe it. Speaking of Louisville baseball, uh, Henry Davis took Kenley Jansen deep earlier today. Oh, did he? Yeah, he's had some. Uh, he's had some big league at bats in spring training. Had a number of guys get get their feet wet. And we, you know, over the years, there's always guys that get a chance to play in spring training games, even if they're not on the 40 man, and even if they're not a non-roster invitee. Uh, a lot of times, and especially I think this year because of the lateness of the MLB guys going down there. That they're more than willing to just say, hey, give me Campbell yeah. so we can throw him in left field. Tyler Fitzgerald started at second base for the Giants and played the entire game the other night. Um, Drew Campbell got a pinch hit opportunity. Obviously, guys like Corey Ray are going to play a little bit. And then Will Smith, Adam Duvall, yeah. you know, the actual big league guys. But it's been kind of fun to follow. Trevor has texted in twice now. He, he wants the world <laughs> to know that he got Wordle in four today. He sent me the oh, stats. Well done. Yeah, officially. And then he also said when I was talking about pitching uh, against kids today, he said, so Rutherford isn't getting a speedball past kids playing baseball today is what I'm hearing. Wow. If you missed that show, 
I've got a big problem with uh, Glory Days, where he says he could throw oh. that speedball by you. Nobody ever says speedball. No, no one has and ever he's described a, a fastball. Quote unquote baseball, baseball guy. guy. Come yeah. on. He could throw that speedball by you. It's my same qualm with Sandlot. I hate to say it. What do they Great say? Great movie. It's the end when he's on the radio and he's jumping around the booth and he's not even on the mic. Oh yeah. Just yeah. Uh, uh, See, I don't like the only part, part of Sandlot I don't like. They fell victim to one like '90s like Hollywood kind of quirk thing and it was the during the dog chasing where the cake goes up and it falls all uh, over i'm like yeah come on like that's just uh, let's we, we could have avoided leave that, that to the stooges exactly yeah. like we we, yeah. we could have avoided that it's still a great flick oh, it's fantastic yeah what, what is your favorite baseball movie is that is that a tough one because i uh, there's a lot of good baseball movies baseball is the is the sport with the best movies yeah i would say either Bull Durham or 61. I okay. love 61. And then Major League would be the third one that I would throw up there. I think the outlier for me, and I didn't see it until it had been out for a while, and I'd already read the book, but I really enjoyed Moneyball. I like Moneyball. Yeah. And and it turns out the guy that played Bradford, the, the submariner, played at Lipscomb and oh. was drafted and then decided he wanted to be an actor. Full circle here. So there we go. But, Full circle. Uh, yeah. I, I like Slapshot will always be my favorite sports Slapshot's movie. Slapshot's so good. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of a quote I could throw out there. The only one that I can think of that I love that I can actually say on air is the, you go in the box, you feel shame. <laughs> you feel shame. <laughs> I watched that at a far too young age because I had older brothers and a dad who was like, yeah, you, you're fine. You'll, you'll love this. I, and I, I love the scope of, of sports movies, but I, I I tend to lean toward comedies more. Like like I, I enjoy the, the emotional tug of the heartstrings sports movies. Like I love Hoosiers, but it's almost like I'd rather watch Semi-Pro again just because – you know, the, like the, the Will Arnett's of the world just kill me. I enjoy the ones that can intertwine both, which, sure. which is why I think I love Bull Durham so Absolutely. Because it's very much a very real story of a, you know, journeyman staring down the end of his career and everything that goes, all the emotion that goes along with that. But obviously the funny parts are very, very funny. No question. I'm a big fan. I'll tell you this. If you're ever in Raleigh-Durham, go to the the old Durham Athletic Park. Durham Bulls Athletic Park is kind of downtown it's the AAA park where, where the Durham Bulls play, and Duke, ah. Duke plays home games there. If you literally walk up the road about half a mile to Durham Athletic Park, it's where we have practiced many times before we play in the tournament there, and it is the field where they filmed Bull Durham, and it's unmistakable. Really? Like, it, it the little the, the yellow diamonds on the walls, and, I mean, it's if you appreciate the movie Bull Durham, being on that diamond is just, it's incredible. It's North Carolina A&T's home park? No. No, there's, it's a different school. North Carolina, I can't think of the North Carolina school, but it's just down, right them. down the road. Yeah, Too many of them. There are, but uh, really cool site. We'll take a break when we come back. Uh, more questions for Sean Moth. I also want to get Sean's thoughts on uh, Kenny Payne, the introductory press conference last week, how all that good stuff went. It's the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 The Big X. She doesn't know the dress. Her hair is always. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. She's beautiful. Smokes packed day. Wait, that's me, even anyway. Trevor's let me know that today's theme is a year. He says nothing specifically connected to the year. He just picked a random year while driving and went with it. That's why he's the best in the biz, folks. Hardest working man in radio, Trevor Kelsey. Always putting together things just by the seat of his pants. So we'll guess what year coming up a little bit later. Poor Meet Virginia, though. I, I think I've... I, I believe Trevor's played this song before. 
and I always, you know, my mom is a Virginia. My grand, like every woman in my family on that side was a Virginia. The state was named after someone in your family. Exactly. Pretty yeah. much. So that's why you know people are like, well, Rutherford Davis kid, Virginia. I'm like, well, it's like it's, I have a. There are some parts of me that exist outside of my sports fandom, and uh, sometimes they're going to come in, into play here. So we named her Virginia. Mom always used to talk about how when she was in her 20s and would start going out to bars, everybody, one of her friends, would invariably play on the jukebox. Come out, Virginia, don't oh, yeah. let me wait. And I just feel like when my Virginia gets older, this is a song that people are going to torture her with. And it's I would so much rather have it be Billy Joel than Train. She'd probably take a swing at him though, right? She's got she's got a little spunk. She's feisty. <laughs> she's feisty. I told you yesterday she threw her veggie straws at, at snack time at school. Oh wow. They were like, <laughs> and her teacher, God love, like her teacher loves her. She's like, <laughs> well, how she, can you not? She's like never changed. Like I love the spunk. I love the attitude. You know, I come in there to pick her up, and most of the kids in her class, you know, don't talk a whole lot. And Virginia will like she speaks in full sentences. And they're like, what? She used the biggest words to describe her emotions. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like, well, today we were giving her veggie stalls for a snack. She threw them across the room. And when we asked her why she did that, she says, I just like goldfish more. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I I mean. And your problem with that is? (laughs) We're we're working on the throwing things. But at least she can communicate. We're working on letting her communicate her emotions before she actually takes actions. That's the the next step. But you've got a confident decision maker that knows what she likes. These These are qualities that... You know, like like they they tell you don't ever change. My dad was an elementary school counselor for 31 years, and they know. You know, they'll they'll punish because they're supposed to punish, yeah. but in the back of their mind, they're saying this this is not egregious. This isn't a problem. See, the teacher's like, I go in the art, cl- you know, the closet. None of the kids notice. Like Virginia opens the door and she's like, Hey, what are you doing in here? I'm like, <laughs> That's that's who she is. It's what she does. She's she's an absolute character. Uh, Thornton sex lines 502-414-1450. If you want to weigh in with any thoughts for uh, Sean Moth, Texas says. Ooh, I think this is – oh, it's KRC text. You know the rules. Kentucky Roll Call, 7 to 9, the best talking about Kentucky sports that you're ever going to find on any radio station in the history of the world. TJ Walker and Dick Rouse do a fantastic job. But they have – because it's an early morning show, they have a lot of podcast listeners. So they'll text in mm. their thoughts when they're listening to the podcast throughout the day, which is fine. Fair enough. But if your text comes in between 3 and 6, we will read it. We will respond to it. Not seriously, but we will act like it's serious. Sure. So here we go. Good conversation and perspective the last few days. I don't want to just keep beating the dead horse, but I'm just ready to move on and trust Cal to do what he's done nearly every year and get a group together that's got us excited come November. I'm in finance, not basketball coaching, so I'll leave that up to the Hall of Famer. Got to fire him. Disagree. If I'm a Kentucky fan right now, I'm out for blood. So if you're gonna let him, fire him, if you're gonna let him do what he does, that that means bringing a big recruiting class and have a disappointing postseason. Oh, I this is my favorite period of time in the <laughs> Kentucky postseason disappointment, where they're like because they move on so quickly. It's it's almost as if they get hit with the Men in Black thing, the, mm. the the flashy device. Because for three weeks, it's woe is me. It's Cal can't do it anymore. We're on the downslide. It's more than just a one year thing. They're fighting with each other, and then they go out and get a couple recruits. They get a couple transfers. And then that word, their favorite word of the spring, summer, loaded. It comes mm. back, and it's everywhere. We're loaded. Loaded. The rest of the world is trembling. And it happens so quickly. But these are the few weeks that I enjoy the most, where they're kind of on tilt a little bit. And I, I don't – I'm embarrassed to say, you know, when I was in talk radio as a, as a job, I followed all sports intensely. Like, I didn't miss a basketball game that was on TV. If Duke Carolina played, I'd, I, there's no chance. I, I recorded it, make sure oh. I could watch it twice. 
and I don't I don't watch sports now. I don't I have had 30 years of nonstop diet of sports and outside of my Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Broncos, the occasional Rockies or Nuggets game, I you know, I watched the NCAA tournament that Thursday and Friday are my two favorite days of basketball of the year, but I just didn't watch them a lot. But I thought it was interesting because it felt like COVID would be an advantage to that team because I thought their their 12 team that that won the title was the best college basketball team I'd seen since UNLV back They're in way the 90s. They're way up there, for sure. And I thought one of the biggest reasons was Darius Miller because he gave them a steadying influence, he gave them a leader, and he gave them experience. And so I thought COVID might provide that for the squad, but I, I just I did not watch them. I watched the St. Peter's game in absolute disbelief. But, uh, yeah, I... I when I picked my bracket, my son set up the you know the, the online bracket in our phones. We got the app, and I waited and I waited. I put it off. I put. I hate picking brackets. I never did well in radio. I, I've never done well, and I've never entered really anything because working in collegiate athletics, you can't. But finally, I, I watched the Rutgers Notre Dame game, the play-in. Great game. Phenomenal game. Mm. Really enjoyed it. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. It's like 11:30 on a Wednesday night. And I, I need I need to pick my bracket. So I went in the kitchen, poured a martini, drank most of it, and then I grabbed my phone and I just speed, just started clicking. <laughs> I didn't even really think about it. I just wanted first instinct. And, of course, I had Kentucky, Iowa, and Tennessee in the final four. No, so you I'm, weren't alone. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, had, I don't I, even care. I mean, I could get the national championship game. Yeah. And there was no part of me that was upset when they lost in the first round. Tennessee was, Tennessee was a dumb risk because even though they probably should have been a two seed and probably had as impressive a resume as virtually anybody – they're also that kind of team that can just go out and lose a game. And our SID with baseball, Stephen Williams, a big Vols fan, and and he he knew that going in. He he was like he was hopeful, but he just knew. Like the, I think the safer bet would have been to go to like a Gonzaga or an Arizona. So yeah, I've got Zags, Arizona, and then I took Miami. I've got which is going to end up being the only team I get right. I guarantee. I'm telling telling you right now, Zona's going to get upset. Zags are probably going to get upset. Miami's going to. I'm going to be like, I had Miami, and everyone's going to be like, Well, how the rest of your bracket go? Not great. But I had that one. Is Laraniega now the most likable ACC coach? Ooh. Because Bayheim used to kind of have a likability to him, but he's I feel gotten, like he's gotten curmudgeon He's gotten very, like, way too crusty. And then we, you know, it's... it's Bray's up there. Oh. Mike Bray. A guy that wears shorts to coach a game. Yeah. Like, the only reason I ever wanted to be famous is so I could go on a talk show in shorts. Because <laughs> I only wear shorts. And I don't understand the stigma. Like, people think jeans are cool, but shorts are evil. I don't like So when Bray pulled that out, he was my hero. Bray... Whenever he goes to Maui, and he's kind of made this look his own now, like ever since they've relaxed stuff post-COVID, he looks like the the husband on vacation who's just begging his wife not to make friends with other vacation people. <laughs> he's just he's over there by the bar. He's like, I'm having fine a fine time by myself. I don't need to go meet the Davidsons. I don't want to hang out with them. Like just br- come back over here. Like l- l- just you and I hang out, which is exactly how I am on I vacation. Love it. Yeah. Un- yeah, not clean shaven. Yeah, my goal. Yeah. My goal when we went to Aruba on our honeymoon, I was like, let's let's not make a couple friends. I don't want to do this. Look, this is about us. We don't need. We're fine enough company ourselves. And then of course, like you know, everybody getting off the plane, they have like the couple shirts with the same wedding date on the back of their shirts and stuff. I'm like, don't even think about it. Oh, I, don't start the conversation. I'm, I'm so glad that my era of fatherhood and marriage were not in that age. <sighs> I, I mean, I was working in radio. I I was getting paid so little it wasn't even funny. My honeymoon was I know how you two feel. days in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, Well, which was four hours away from where I lived yeah. and uh, had to get back to do a game. And uh, actually, the the day the day we got married, Colorado State played a road football game at Kansas, of all places. 
I, I don't know why I remember that. And I don't know why people even care because they don't. But uh, but yeah, bracketing bracketing not going well. Better than the day we got married was known for two things. One, the same day Earl Clark got married, which I oh. will forever. We're basically best friends yeah. forever, even though he doesn't know it. E5. And then two, it was the legendary online night of the quote unquote Louisville Purge. Oh, if you remember. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There was the big rumor that. Oh, I had my pitchfork ready to go. I was so disappointed. They were going to purge. Like, <laughs> like everybody around the country is listening to the Louisville police scanner and they're like, well, nothing's really happening outside of the ordinary. But that was the day we got married. I literally just watched that Rick and Morty last night. That, you the know, purge. The, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I sadly... It feels good. My family, sadly, is uh, has some birthdays that have been ill-linked to other events. My, my sister's birthday is 9-11, oh. and my, my mom's birthday is uh, January 28th, which was the day of the shuttle in oh, 1986. Geez. And so then I keep thinking, you know, my dad's January 18th, and I'm September 4th, and we're just kind of on pins and needles those days, that there's going to be some terrible disaster of sorts just because it's such an odd coincidence of, for whatever reason. I had... So, terrible things happen on my birthday either to me or nationally for like 15 straight years mm. so much so that like people would would keep track of it like it was i separated my shoulder playing football Ooh. one year i there was some like i maybe like i broke my nose or something one year <laughs> and then it was far more serious notes hurricane katrina yeah. was one year yeah i was in lexington in college when that horrible plane crash happened at the lexington airport where oh, they ran yeah. up the ramp like that was the day after but my first year at college you know this is obviously far less significant it's i think like the, the second day of class which always sucked about my birthday being late august you're oh, yeah. looking forward to it during summer but you're also in turn looking forward to the start of school yeah so it's the second day of class it's like a wednesday i've got friends at dayton but like nobody wants to nobody's going to go out and go drinking yet second day of class sure. your first year of college so we just, I think we went and had dinner somewhere, came back. It had stormed a little bit. We realized that we had forgotten to shut the window to our dorm room. No. So like my PlayStation's covered in water. My oh. TV's covered in water. My, the new computer that they made you buy, they made you buy laptops at Dayton back then, covered in water. My bed covered in water. No. It was just, and I'm like, it continues. It's continuing. It was always bad. But Interesting. Yeah. I usually just had games on my birthday. Well, that's... I gave up a grand slam on my birthday one time, too. I think Elvis Dumerville had six sacks against Kentucky on my birthday. I was there. Yeah, I think I think that was the day. That was a better day. Texas says, I would like to know how Sean researches all of his factoids for the games. Opposing teams, <laughs> venues, and cities. How much time does he spend researching? I love listening to him call games. I appreciate that. I, I put together a flip card for every opponent that is a single sheet, has the roster, and then it has a line of facts that I glean from, usually from the, the bios. Most Division One schools have a pretty good bio on the on the website. Those that don't, some don't have anything. I'll just put he plays baseball. And then I'll literally <laughs> say on the air, this is all they'll tell me. I just all I know is that he plays baseball. Uh, but I I I try to do. Uh, I've got four paragraphs. One of them on the team, and I've got my flip card up right now for Boston College, which I need to do this this evening. Thanks a lot, Mike. Um, You're welcome. The one of them is on the Eagles and basically the tradition of their program, um, and then another one's on the series between the two teams, which was fascinating. Yesterday, we played Lipscomb in a doubleheader in Nashville in 1977, got swept, and I was thinking that that's kind of a bad look. And then I realized they were NAI national champions that oh, year. Oh wow! So maybe not the worst look. And then uh, I I try to go to study Boston College, and then I'll study Chestnut Hill or Newtown, or in this case, I just went with Boston. Because as a solo broadcast for nine innings, there's just a lot of time to fill. And so you try to have some of those those fun nuggets. And uh, I appreciate that. I'm guessing between two and five hours every opponent, which when you play two midweek games and a weekend game makes for a lot of 
a lot of side prep. I tried to get ahead. I didn't do a very good job this week, but yeah, I, I'm I I like learning. I always have. I almost went back and got multiple degrees while I worked at U of L, but I just didn't want it about the time. But I'm just always intrigued about finding stuff out and and I love it when there's bios that have unique facts about kids mm. when they their uncle played, you know, baseball somewhere. You know, we've got a kid, uh, Cade Grundy whose dad was a Hall of Famer at Western Carolina and went on to play pro ball. So I love learning those things. Yesterday the 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 backup catcher for uh, for Lipscomb listed his special talent as Kendama. And I, I was I like, don't know, okay, I, that I must be too old. So we do the Google search, and I find it, and it's basically, for lack of a better term, I described this on the broadcast yesterday, so Texter might be just going, okay, I really, I didn't like it that well, I don't want to hear it again, <laughs> but, but it's really fascinating to me. So it's like a, a wooden cross, and the, the left and right and bottom parts of the cross are con, convex, and then the top is a spike, kind of like an index finger, and then there's a ball on a string that's tied to it with a hole in the ball. So you can flip the ball up in the air, catch it on the spike, or you can flip the ball in the air, catch it on one of the con- convex ends of the the other okay. three sides of the cross. And then from there, there's just multiple ways you can do this to a point where it's like a performance art. And you can throw the ball up and catch it on the spike or catch it on one of the ends. I've or, never heard of this. And I'd never heard of it either, but I watched a YouTube video. I was going to say, now I, this, like I need to see. This performance art aspect of the whole thing, it, you know, it's not like ball in cup where it's just physical, you know, dexterity and, oh, okay, I got it. Now I'm going to throw it away and it's going to roll under my bed like mm-hmm. Woody and Buzz. It's an actual thing where you can refine. And maybe a yo-yo is a better comparison that there are things you can do that are intriguing. And I was like, this, this is really, like, I don't want to go buy one because I'd probably be terrible at it, but it's really cool. K-E-N-D-A-M-A. So that was the one I I pulled from from Lipscomb. And, I'm legit going to go look it up. Yeah. But I, I appreciate that. I, I take a lot of pride in that. I know it, a lot of people probably tune it out, but, uh, you know, I, I just... To me, it's it's just kind of fun to know that uh, Leslie Visser and Elizabeth Hasselbeck and Steve Carell's wife Nancy Walls and Amy Poehler all went to Boston College. I like they went like with the, Elizabeth and not Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we we go with the star of the family. The other one I like is Drew Massey, the founder and publisher of POV Magazine, went to school. Then everybody's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, I've known him since third grade, so that's the only reason." I, I had a question, and I I legit thought about this the other day, and I wasn't sure when I was going to get to ask you. I almost texted you, but I was like, eh, it's it's too hard to text this question." But I was watching the the Notre Dame highlight video, the, the series highlight video that they put together on, I guess this was Monday. Have you ever done the grass track wall call and gotten it wrong? Absolutely. Last weekend. Or no, last, last week. Yeah, Ben Bianco. I could probably play it for you off my computer, too, because I get the game files. Last week, Ben Bianco hit a ball, and I, I think it was one of the midweek games. Wind was blowing out like 25 miles an hour. And he, he caught it a little bit off the end of the bat, but it was a pretty good swing. And the ball went straight up in the air, and the left fielder went straight back. And I was like, usually you learn, if you go to a lot of baseball games, especially as a broadcaster, you learn that the the best clue on a home run is the outfielder. Mm-hmm. Don't judge the swing. Don't judge the ball. Don't judge the weather. Should have learned my own lesson. Watch the outfielder. And, you know, the outfielder's never going to lie. Well, this guy totally lied to me. Because he went back to the wall like it was gone and then, then paused with his butt against the wall and caught it. Oh. And so I went grass, track. Caught oh, at the wall. I, oh. So I, I, I've done it multiple times. I, I I don't always like doing the quote-unquote home run call on every home run, especially if you've got a team like this year's team that hit a few because it just I don't want it to get old, but I don't have a second call. I just think it's important that no matter what you want to do that's fun, kitschy, or unique, that you just say the word home run. Like, that's a pet peeve of mine. Like, I, I want to know that it was a home run. And, and I, it, sometimes it's obvious, but uh, those videos... 
I'm telling you what, our so video good. crew, men's basketball, I, I don't remember Corey's last name, but Corey does an unbelievable Aldis, job. Aldis, Aldis, I think you're right. Yeah. Corey does an incredible job with those. He's so good. And Asad Ali is the baseball uh, videographer. Did volleyball he, this year too. And I, he did. And and I, I, I don't ever say this to to downplay his talents. When I first started working with him five, six, seven years ago, which Asad played baseball at U of L, but he's grown to a point where boy, he's just putting together phenomenal stuff. And it's just I'm flattered that they're willing to throw my call on top of him because it's uh it's good stuff. All I could think of when I was thinking about that question was, you know, they asked Mark Grace, you know, what was your favorite Harry Carey call of all time? And he said, we're playing, you know, the Padres or whatever in 1987. And, you know, I belted one and he goes, deep fly ball to right field. If it's fair, it's gone. And it is caught at the wall. Oh. <laughs> and I, I just thought, I'm like, I'm like I, I guarantee it has to have happened to Sean at least once. Oh yeah. And it smokes like a chimney, by the way, Mark Grace. Does he? Yeah. Shocking. Wouldn't have guessed it. There was a, so Charlie, Charlie Jones, old time, like NBC football voice and relatively famous broadcaster did Rockies baseball on TV. And I kid you not, he had a call the inaugural year of, of Rockies baseball at Mile High Stadium, which was a, uh, it was literally a deep fly ball into the alley and the guy slid into third with a stand up double. (laughs) <laughs> and we're all just looking at each other going, what, what, what did he just say? <laughs> so oh, I, love I, I have one I have one motto. I have another one that I don't really share with people, but I have one that I have posted on the wall. And I think it's the most important lesson for any young broadcaster in any sport. And I, I don't say it jokingly. I'm, I'm so serious about this. I think it's the number one problem with anybody that does play-by-play, and that is let it happen. There's a, a tendency, especially on TV, to be on top of the call oh, yeah. as it happens. And especially in baseball, when you've got a home run, or even when you've got like a base hit up the middle, and then the shortstop makes the best play of the whole weekend, and you jack it up because you're like, base hit up the middle. Oh, wait! Like yeah. You sound like an idiot. Yeah. So you try to let it happen. So people that listen to my broadcast probably are like, they hear like, tink, and they're like, why isn't he explaining what's going on? And that's because I really make a pointed effort to make sure that I'm describing what happened, not what happens. I, I still want to be on top of it, but I think for young broadcasters especially, I think that's a great lesson because, you know, I, I find, you know, and I, I make mistakes all the time, like the grass track wall, but I'll get ahead of myself at times, and it's just infuriating. It's infuriating. Free advice right there from the best. Write that down, kids. We got <laughs> a one hour in the books. We got two more to go. Keep it locked right here. We're back with more with Sean Moth coming up after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big X. is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. The best for you both. I know the version of me. God, this is another TK classic. These, these are all just vintage Trevor today. You can tell he's had these loaded up before. You can t- like, He wasn't lying when he said he was doing this in his car because these are all songs that we've had before multiple mm. times. Uh, it is a, a year theme. Trevor Kelsey on the road today. He'll be out for the rest of the week. Sean Moth in studio at Cards PA on Twitter. We've been talking baseball. We've been taking your texts, uh, talking all sorts of things. I do want to pick uh, Sean's brain about 
the big topic here locally outside of the women's basketball team marching to the Sweet 16. On the men's side, it's all Kenny Payne. It's all about recruiting. It's all buzz. It's all still people feeling good from last Friday, the introductory press conference, all the videos that have come in the, the subsequent days. You're kind of like me in a different way as far as neither one of us really have any memories of, of watching Kenny Payne play here. I was too young. You know, you're a, a transplant. We both know the history of Louisville men's basketball, and we both can see you know, how Payne coming back has affected people who were around during that era and how it's affected people that he played with and people that were fans of him. I, I mean, even not having memories of, of that time, I watched the way that it made people my dad's age, people mm. slightly younger than him feel, and just how... The Freedom Hall lower bowl. Exactly. It, it just it felt like a unifying thing, even for people who weren't actually around during that time period, or people who... Like, I never got to experience the, the, the Halcyon Denny Crum days. Yeah. Like, my firm memories start in kind of the early 90s. Yeah. And, like, my brothers got to have all that fun. My dad got to have all that fun. And you got Rashad Brooks. <laughs> I got Rashad Brooks wedging a, a layup in the final moments of, of a loss to Gonzaga in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Oh. Um, it was it was a different experience. Don't get me wrong. Like, the 97 run to the Elite Eight was... Sure. I, I will always remember that. I'll remember the, the run and getting screwed against... Tim Duncan and Wake Forest in the Sweet 16 the year before, but it it was just different. But even having that mentality, even having that be my fan experience, it's impossible not to have the good vibes be at least a little bit contagious. And just seeing everybody kind of on the same page or close to the same page for the first time in what feels like forever has been wonderful. How long those good vibes last? You, you you never really know. This is, I mean, this is you kind of forget. This was the way it was when Chris Mack first got here too, uh, to a degree. Yeah. And eventually it becomes, hey, what's the roster going to look like? How are we going to play? We're going to talk about the NCA stuff. Like more serious matters are coming. But for right now, in this moment, it's been wonderful. I I've really enjoyed it. What, what's your experience been following all this? First of all, it's just an honor to be on a show where the word halcyon is used in correct context. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, one of the great words. Uh, right, right up there with fruition. Fruition's a great I, th- word. I think it's in- intriguing to me, and you, you honestly brought up one of the points that I would point to, and that is everybody. And this is going to sound like the old guy drinking Fresca because it is, but we <laughs> we always feel good after a press conference. Like we felt good when Steve Cragthorpe was hired. We felt great when Charlie Strong was hired. We like we always feel good at a presser, and we thought Chris Mack was a great hire. What's intriguing to me is. Let me just get this out of the way by saying I love Kenny Payne's hire. I've never met Kenny Payne that I recall. I know he's been here for some reunions and that, and I've probably mentioned his name as I listed off the 86 team and, and some of those squads and that, but I've, I've never had interaction with him. Now it is it is the question where once the feel-good wears off, what's the roster look like? And now we need him to win. Now we need to prove he can coach. We need to get that reassurance that he wasn't a head coach before – age 55 or whatever, you know, because he just chose not to be. And that, uh, you know, he puts together a staff, which all signs point that Nolan Smith pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered to. But, you know, he needs to prove it, and he needs to win. And and I think that there's going to be the high level of forgiveness for that first year. But I also get the impression that the recruits that are – decommitting as we speak that could show up on campus next year and I in particular the following year are going to be really impressive 
I, I always contrast it with, okay, I, I always thought in the back of my head that, gosh, it sure would be cool if Scott Drew wanted to be closer to home. Mm-hmm. What an unbelievable hire that would be. And people are like, how are you going to get him? And I say, well, would you rather live in Waco or Louisville? You know, what else can he do there? He's done everything. So why not, you know, coaches like a challenge. Let's see if he can win again. Well, if, if that press conference were Scott Drew and we announced Scott Drew and everybody's excited, we'd ask the same two questions. Exactly. What's your roster look like and can you win? And... The answer to the latter question, lots of people think is easy because he won at Baylor, but Chris Mack won at Xavier. So it's not an easy answer. So there's no certainties in hires. And I think this was the right time to make this hire. And I'm amused at some of the other radio shows that I've listened to recently that are willing to wildly speculate with all kinds of reasoning without really even checking sources, you know. Uh, why 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 did he make the hire without interviewing any other big time candidates? Well, you know, agents answer a lot of questions this day and age. They'll answer questions of would your client be interested to if your client were interested, how much money would they want to you know they're they're all but interviewing people without interviewing them. Yeah, and I can tell you, I mean, if there's any sort of uncertainty on this, I there, I can't give you all the behind-the-scenes scoop for what took place over the last month and a half. I can tell you in no uncertain terms that the tires were kicked on Scott Drew <laughs> and that there was a conversation not with Drew directly, but a you know like he was willing to listen to the pitch. The pitch was made, and it was, in the end, thanks but no thanks. And if it had not been thanks but no thanks, there would have been a formal interview. Yeah. Understandably yeah. so, the man just won the damn national yeah. championship. And it's not two or three guys. Like, Josh Hurd did his work. Right. Like, Josh Hurd's not an idiot. And I don't, I don't just say that because he's a good Colorado kid. Like, Josh Hurd <laughs> is doing a phenomenal job. And I, I see no reason that he can't get that promotion of the full-time job. And I think the court of public opinion is going to have a hard time not seeing that as the right move as well. Sure. And it'll be intriguing sure. to see what that is. But back to Kenny Payne, I love the enthusiasm and energy and what he's done to the fan base. And I think the beauty of it is, is he's connected to the lower bowl at Freedom Hall with what we remember Kenny Payne as, and he's connected to your generation and younger because of what he did as a recruiter mm. at Kentucky and and even what he's done uh, just with uh, his relationships. You know, when when you see <laughs> when you see some of the people on social media congratulate him and you hear some of the names that he throws around, you realize how well connected he is and how well liked he is, and. Yeah, Magic Johnson's not tweeting about it if we hire I, Matt McMahon or, I mean, or even Eric Mulvin. How crazy is that? And I just, you know, in this day and age, you don't get rid of a coach unless you know you've got somebody better. And that's, I look down the road to Lexington going, man, careful what you folks wish for. Oh, yeah. I mean, Billy Gillespie might walk through that door. You never know. I mean, we, we figured that out <laughs> firsthand. And I think, you know, you talked about the timing. Josh talked about the timing several times during the, the process. The timing was right for Kenny Payne. Yeah. I mean, if you go back four years ago, a lot of the people who now are, you know, Kenny Payne was the obvious choice, Kenny mm-hmm. Payne or bust. Like four years ago, those same people were not on the the, the Kenny Payne train. The majority of the Louisville fan base was not because, yeah. you know, we said some of the things that, that other people said this go around too, which is this is Louisville men's basketball. It, it's a top six, top seven program all time in the sport. We're not that far removed from winning a national title. We've had two full-time coaches in the last billion years, and they both have been Hall of Famers. You don't just hand the reins to somebody who's never been a head coach before. Mm-hmm. Well, things changed over the yeah. last four years. Yeah. The program you know, now is in a slightly more vulnerable state, even than we were back in 2018. But the bigger thing is you hired a guy who maybe didn't check all the boxes, but checked enough that you believed he was going to, at the very least, have 
a solid degree of success, right? The floor seemed pretty high with Chris Mack. Mm -hmm. You weren't expecting to miss NCAA tournaments. You weren't expecting for the -the off-the-court stuff. You certainly weren't expecting for another extortion case Mm -hmm. where somehow the person who gets extorted comes out looking worse than the uh, extortioner. But here we are. What are you going to do? And I think that experience made people far more receptive to a guy like Kenny Payne because now you can say – I mean, the pushback every time you went over a candidate who didn't have the Scott Drew resume with the national championship and, you know, multiple Final Fours and all that stuff, the pushback was, well, we just hired a guy like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's I get it. Like, yeah. I, I understand why you're saying let's try something different. I don't I don't know if it's the right philosophy. I, don't, I'm not, I can't guarantee that this is going to work. We're all just guessing. Yeah. Everybody's guessing, the, one way or the other. A question that was posed to me is, do you hire Kenny Payne if his incredible college career was at Illinois? No, but also, like, do you hire John Shire at Duke well, if he played somewhere else and coached somewhere else? And my follow-up to that is you probably don't, but that's part of what makes this a great hire because the inherent passion for the job, for the university, for the city, and for the program is in place because Kenny Payne did play at Louisville. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, that's where I go with it. And I, I so I think it's... I, it's exciting and terrifying all at the same time because we just you don't want you know more frustration ahead. But I'm I'm pretty confident that the things are going to go the right way. I had an opportunity to interact with Ernie Kent a little bit when he was mm-hmm. at Colorado State. Back of my mind, I was kind of hoping maybe that was going to be a hire to kind of be the the Don Zimmer to his Don Baylor or uh-huh. whatever metaphor you want to place with uh, with you know Juwan Howard and and uh, and and Coach uh, Phil Martelli. Phil Martelli. Uh, I think it's I think it's apparent to Kenny that that's probably going to need to be one of the hires. It's going to be intriguing to see who fills out that staff. But I I know this they're going to recruit. They're going to bring huge energy. And I, I thought it was intriguing too. I didn't get to hear the entire press conference live, but I kind of re-listened to it. I've been so myopic with college baseball, but when he was asked about style of play, all I could help but hearing is he basically said, "We're just going to play a lot like Denny's old teams and Rick Pitino's teams." And I, I thought that was interesting, but but I was especially intrigued by him saying that we want to be a good passing team. And I thought that was some some keen and savvy insight to what's important in good basketball. Because if you look, if you were to break down the 20 however many games have been played, well, it's more than that, the 40 however many games have been played in the NCAA tournament, I feel like the team that had the most made buckets off assists that didn't have just a ridiculous number of offensive rebounds probably won the game. When 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 Jeff Wall's women's team performs the best, they'll have 34 made baskets and they'll have 27 assists. Yeah. The only way you don't have those assist numbers is if you're scoring on the the fast break or getting offensive rebounds. But typically, if you make good passes, you get good looks. The better you look, the better your shooting percentage. The more likely you are to win. And so I thought that was. You got to make shots, John. I liked that. Well. <laughs> You do have to make shots. You gotta make shots. If we ever knew that was a thing, Louisville basketball, twenty-one, twenty-two, we definitely saw that. That was gonna be my press conference question if I was there. (laughs) Coach, do you do you or do you not plan on making shots here? Because if the answer's if the answer's negative, I've I've got a follow-up question. How do you you. feel about making shots? Because that is, I mean, you mentioned if you hire Scott Drew, the follow-up questions after the initial, you know, post-press conference glory are still the same. You know. are you going to win? What's the yeah. roster look like? The difference with Kenny Payne and the other guys are we still don't know a whole lot uh, about specifics when it comes to his style. Like Absolutely. Defensively, what are we going to look like? 
I think we can assume things based on the man that he coached under at Kentucky. But I also like, I'd be shocked if he doesn't take a hard look at the Kentucky offense and what it has and has not been doing in recent years and how the game has changed really since even since he left UK a few years ago. Like it is, the game is not played the same way it was back in 2010 and 2015 when you know you guys were riding the dribble drive to having one of the best teams in the country. And I wonder if he's going to look at things differently. I wonder if he's willing to bring in assistance that can pitch him different ideas. But yeah. like that is the that's still kind of the great unknown with him. And it was like I like that he says we're going to play fast. I like that he says we have to be a great passing team. Every coach who's a new hire says Absolutely. we're going to play fast. And nobody says I'd like to score you know, 65 points a game. Be around 180 to 220 in adjusted tempo, mm-hmm. like like all that. Like everybody <laughs> says we're going to play fast. We're going to score a ton of points. We're going to yeah. have a, a style that players want to play in. Okay, a few months down the line, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what exactly that's going to entail. What was your take on the the comment he made about letting the players make the plays? Something to that effect. Did you did you interpret that as he's not going to have a quick hook on mistakes, or did you interpret that as as I'm going to let the guys that can win games take the ball in their hands and win games? I interpret or, or either or another take. I interpreted it as he he's, wants to have one of these modern offenses where you have a basic set. But it's maybe not a specific play. It's a you have these continuity sets where 17 different things can happen on a given possession based on what the defense does. You know, you can cut this way, you can cut that way, and if you cut this way, the guy who's playing the four cuts the other way. Like, mm-hmm. and the players decide that. Like, you you install that in practice, you work with them in practice, you let them know what to do when. But when they get out on the floor, it's kind of theirs to make their own. Sure. And I think that's that has become sort of an invoke thing. I think the best coaches in college basketball have some sort of combination of they have that set, but also once you get into a game, they'll adjust a little bit and say, hey, this dude's overhedging on the screen. You're going to slip the ball screen here. We're going to cut. We're going to run that right now. And I think you have to. And that's one of those things that you just have to be a head coach over a certain period of time to to kind of get your feet underneath you and figure out the best way to do it. And I hope Louisville fans are at least a little bit patient. Yeah, I'm not saying we're not going to have success right out of the gate, but there are probably going to be a couple of times where, I mean, we saw this with Mike Pegues. You make a late game move or you make a, a substitution or you don't call a timeout at the right time. And it just, you're like, this doesn't seem like you should be. De-. And it takes time. Like you yeah. have, you have to learn as you go. You can have, you could have coached under like Denny Crum, the best to ever do it mm-hmm. for a long period of time. When it's you at the end of that bench, you're still going to make a couple of mistakes at the beginning. You can be the best. You can be as prepared as you can possibly be. It still has to be a learning process. And the only way to learn is to be the man, to be the man in the arena, to have some mistakes and to not make them the next time that situation arises. Like that's just it's just the way it goes, not just in basketball, in anything. Yeah. And this is way off in terms of relation. But but Zach Wasserman came to town, former first baseman for the cards, and he was he's an assistant coach at Xavier. But he had been head coach at a junior college in Michigan, and, and I did a pregame interview with him, and I said, Zach, what, that first time you were the head coach, were there times where you were like wanting to ask what, what should be done and realized, oh, crap, that's that's my decision. Like I, <laughs> I need to figure that out. And he's, he's like, absolutely. Like It was kind of terrifying. And so it, it's always intriguing to me to watch that process, that maturation, because even fans of the baseball team probably remember Dan McDonald in 07, and it, it was his first head coaching job, same with Jeff Walls. But in, in particular, Dan in 07 would not hesitate to argue a call, shall we say. Um, and, and I think as he matured as a head coach, he realized more and more that he probably wanted to pick spots. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot. Dan was out on the field a lot more early in his career than he is now. 
And so I, I think there's a learning process that, you know, just requires, it's, it's kind of like riding a bike. Like at some point you got to take off the training wheels and mom or dad can't run next to you holding you. You just got to push off and start pedaling. And once you figure it out, you're going to be fine. But, you know, some people learn differently than others. Some people take that first pedal and they're like, oh, we're good. Some people run into the back of the neighbor's car and fall down on the sidewalk, you know. So it, it it's definitely going to be intriguing to see. And, and the questions about, I'm always amused, the questions about style of offense, style of defense, I I don't know how much I care. Yeah. I just want to see good basketball and I, and I want to see I want to see us competing. And 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 this year's team was I, I'm detached from the program now more than ever and it it got to a point where I, I didn't even really remember we had games sometimes because oh, just the that. passion was it wasn't there. You know, it was frustrating. Uh, Texas says 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. Texas says, did Chris Mack really win at Xavier? No Final Fours and one fluke Elite Eight. Scott Drew won at Baylor. Well, I mean, if you're, if that's your threshold, if if you're saying that only counts if you go to a Final Four, win a national title, then no. But at Xavier, I mean, he won more than anybody's ever won there, and they've produced a hell of a lot of good head coaches. He went to five Sweet Sixteens in ten years. He missed the NCAA tournament one time. I in mean, 10 let, years. let's stop right there. Five, six Sweet Sixteens. I mean, come on. Like went to an Elite Eight. He was the first coach to ever make them a number one seed. He wasn't a 500 coach that had only been in the tournament twice in 10 years. And the best and the worst part about college basketball is how much March Madness means. I mean, you can you can flip four mediocre months into a overwhelmingly successful season in two weeks. You can also undo. Kentucky fans know this firsthand. You can undo the good work of four months in one bad two-hour session. And the fact that Xavier got kind of manhandled by Florida State in the second round in uh, 2018 should not just completely diminish the fact that he made Xavier a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And it wasn't just Xavier dominating the Atlantic 10 or dominating the West Coast Conference doing the Gonzaga thing. They won the Big East. A pretty damn good conference right now. Like he... He absolutely won. And so I, as as painful as the last four years have been, well, I guess it's the last two specifically, there's no point in rewriting history. Chris Mack was the national coach of the year, won every single award. A, USBWA, AP, Naismith, won every coach of the year award you can win. Yeah. He checked not every box, like I said, but he checked a lot. He checked a lot, enough to make you think that he was going to have success here. It wasn't a... Rick Pitino type deal where the man's won national titles and been to Final Fours, and you know he's going to get you back there unless something crazy happens when he's here. But you assumed that you were going to at least be in the mix most years. You, you were go- like Chris Mack was going to make you a top six seed in just about every single NCAA tournament. Yeah. And the fact that it didn't happen, and I know there were extenuating circumstances that, that certainly no, nobody saw a global pandemic coming. Nobody num- saw number one team in the nation for the second time in program history. Yeah. I like it happened, and who knows? Yeah. It'll always be a great unknown. And it doesn't excuse what happened the last two years by any stretch of the imagination. But if you have that 2020 NCAA tournament and that team makes a deep run, maybe they win the ACC tournament. Maybe they end up yep. a top two, top three seed and go to an Elite Eight, go to a Final Four. It changes everything. Yeah. But we'll never. maybe they lose in the first round. Absolutely. And the last two years are even worse. And th- that team was not playing great at the end of the season. But March is weird. I mean, that 2012 team was not playing great at the end of the season either. No. And we all know what happened. So... I'll defend the Mac hire at least in that vein. Well, if the if the bar is that coach has to have had been into a Final Four, then our hiring options were, you know, okay, Bruce Weber, um, not great, Tubby Smith, Shaka Smart, Bruce Pearl, 
Porter Mosier, Frank Martin, Jim Laranaga, which, you know, I don't think you're going to hire somebody of his age, even though he's, boy, what a great job he's done this year. Killing it. Scott Drew, Mike Davis. Okay. Mick Cronin, Tom Crean. Get Kevin Ollie's show calls out of there. Oh, Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, Rick Barnes, Dana Altman, Kelvin Sampson, Bob Huggins, Mark Few, Jay Wright, Bill Self, Ben Howland, John Calipari, Rick Bettino, Jim Beheim, Tom Ezzo, Mike Krzyzewski. Those, and the, are, those are active coaches that have been to a Final Four. And that list is, it's a bunch of guys who you have no shot at getting, not just because of you know, where you are, but who just aren't, like Tom Izzo's not leaving Michigan State. No. Coach K's retiring. John Calipari's not leaving Kentucky, at least willingly. Jim Beheim looks too much like Kenny Klein. Does. They, we, they, we can never have that. We are, we're already trying to traverse an area where we have two Kennys in one basketball oh. program. Thank goodness they don't look alike. I'm just glad we don't have two Coach Max anymore. No offense to Chris, it's just so much easier with our baseball coach now to have one Coach Mac again. Did you see, because somebody texted and wanted to get your reaction to this, and I don't know if you want to talk about it, okay. but did you see the Jeff Walls clip from, I guess it was after the the, the win over Gonzaga, and they were he was asked about Kenny Payne during a media session, and he said something along the lines of, I feel we're going to get back to where we were when Rick was here, which is everybody was supporting everybody. There was a lot of interaction, just a lot of positive feelings. It felt like everybody was kind of on the same page. And I look forward to that returning. A not so thinly veiled reference to the fact that for the last four years, that peace and harmony throughout the world was not on Floyd Street, at least in his eyes, with those two programs. Yeah. And, and you know, when that building was built, it was volleyball and men's basketball. And then it, you know, made the transition to the the women's basketball team taking over. And I I didn't hear the comment, but I can immediately just know from talking to an individual that worked with the lacrosse team, who is also in that building, that uh, there was a lot of interaction, staff to staff, support staff to support staff, when when Rick and Jeff were there together. And I'm just guessing that uh, you know the the wall kind of closed off with the new regime. And I, I think that level of communication kind of closed off with with a lot of aspects of the athletic department. You know, I uh, I remember talking to poor Kenny about giving him a bad time about the new floor at uh, Kieber Center, and uh, he didn't know anything about it until he saw it on social media. No. And so I, I, like that. I think there were a lot of things that were done that, uh, and I'm not saying this is good or bad, but I just think there was more of an island approach to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna huddle up. This is our squad, and I know we're all Cardinals, but let's let's just keep this in house with this group and and, and move forward. And I don't I don't know that um, you know I don't I don't want to say that that things were icy. I I had somebody that, who I just have a ton of respect for talk about the fact that some coaches coach basketball and some coaches live basketball. Yeah. Or some Great coaches quote. coach baseball and some coaches live baseball. And and I, I maybe get the sense that uh, the passion level maybe wasn't there. And when you've got three kids that are of an age where you really want to be a part of their life, I can sympathize. I mean, I just do. I did radio and PA, and I mean, I missed my son's high school graduation, which yeah. with his blessing, because we were at the conference tournament. You know, I missed a lot of things about my son growing up, and he's now 24, and and we have a great relationship, and he's totally okay with it. But uh, you know, I missed out on a lot. So I, I get that. You know, it's not right or wrong. It's not hate the guy, love the guy. It just sometimes facts are facts. But I, I didn't hear that comment. But I, I would imagine it just probably had to do with the perspective of, if that relationship hadn't been great with Coach Patino, then it wouldn't have been noticeable. It just depends on how you approach things. I also got the. And you would know this. 
clearly far better than I would or than anybody listening. Yeah, people talk about the divide between the Patino players and the Crumb players with the men's basketball program and how that's been going on for a long time. It, it also feels like, and maybe it wasn't talked about quite as much, but the last four years there was a divide between like the new blood and like the, the Tom holdovers, like those people. And, and I hope that with things not going great, at least in some respects, the last couple of years, and now bringing Kenny Payne in, having you know Scott Satterfield hopefully having success this year, maybe getting the ball rolling on recruiting and, and starting to bring the football program back where we want it to be. And then new blood at the athletic director spot with potentially Josh, a guy who could bridge gap. I mean, he was here when Tom was here. Mm-hmm. He's been here when under Vince for the last few years. Maybe we can all get back on the same page because there was a, people weren't TPing Jeff Walls's house. I'll just no. say that. Like it, there was a whole try, like trying to say, this is a new umbrella. Like we're all on the same page and it never really felt like that. And maybe now, we can finally actually get there and have it be a, a genuine thing because, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. Yeah. We want Louisville Athletics to be as good as it can possibly be. We want to feel good about being Cardinal fans, and let's use that as a unifying factor because it hasn't felt like that in a while. My impression, briefly working for the second regime, uh, was that there was a you have to have good work culture. Like all the people talk about, you know, you know, working at Google or working at Pixar or working at, you know, at Apple, you know, the, the dress codes relaxed and everybody's buddy, buddy. And, you know, it's, it's laid back. I, th- I think the, the attention to culture with the new regime was the number one priority. And the previous regime under Tom, I think the concern was that I, I want a good work culture, but I want really good people that are really good at their job, that do their job. And Tom was the type of boss that if you came to him with an idea, his response would usually be, do it, mm. make it happen. And and he, he, he didn't go to a lot of meetings. He let his people do their job because he trusted them. He hired the right people to do their jobs. I'm not saying the second regime didn't, but there, there was a huge focus on culture. And, and I, I don't know if, if that has impacted things in any way, shape, or form. Let me say this about Josh. So those that don't know, Josh Hurd um, has experience on Capitol Hill. Um, he, uh, and I mean D.C. Capitol Hill, he has worked in politics. And his primary responsibility at Louisville before he left for Villanova was to run the championships. And what that means is anything that happened with a postseason event at UofL, whether it be the Final Four in field hockey or the NCAA first and second round of men's soccer, or baseball regional, or the final four of volleyball at the Yum Center, or NCAA men's or women's basketball at the Yum Center. He oversaw everything, every detail, from signage to transportation to hotels to every level of execution possible. And for years, under Tom, the championships were as smoothly run as any aspect of the athletic department. The attention to detail was staggering. The communication was phenomenal. And when coaches would come in and you had a big personality that uh, was unhappy with their hotel or unhappy with practice time or unhappy with the uniform policy or unhappy with how much it cost to get laundry done, they answered to Josh. And so Josh not only worked with our coaching staff, with whom he has a great relationship, virtually every coach because of the championships, but he also has dealt with a lot of big personalities. And not one of those personalities came away just being ticked off at everything that happened and hated Louisville. 
If you go back and listen to the audio of a lot of these championship press conferences, you'll hear a lot of big-time coaches, including the one down the street, if I recall correctly, who said this championship was just as well-run as any championship I've ever been a part of. Everything was done the right way, and I worked a lot of those championships in a lot of different capacities. Some of them I did deep PA. Some I, you know, ran a spotlight for the volleyball Final Four. I, you know, I did whatever was needed to be done. And then afterwards, it took a village to take down the signage. Like, you've been to the media room at Yum Center for mm. basketball. I mean, that's the practice gym. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so Josh would just, Josh would do these things by himself. You know, he obviously had a lot of support staff, but it was his sole responsibility. And the guy knows what he's doing. He's incredible in, in his attention to detail. And the other thing was, is he had to interact with everybody in the department to get these things done. He had to be active with compliance. He had to be active with the business office and Jeff Spelker and the budgets. And he had to be active with sports information. How are we setting up press conferences? What are the meeting rooms? What are the, what? how are we handling things? And so, you know, running a championship as a fan, just going in and say, oh, hey, this Murray State, Colorado State game is really fun. You yeah. know, it's, <laughs> you have no idea how much goes into it. And uh, I don't know that even Tom understood or appreciated how much Josh did or how great he was at what he did. And so, I mean, if this sounds like a plug for him to be AD, you can take it for what it is. But what I'll tell you is what an unbelievable component of the athletic department he was to run what I think is the most visible aspect of the athletic department outside of your own team playing at the highest level. Great stuff from Sean Moth there. we got more great stuff with Sean Moth coming up after the break. Uh, we'll take more of your texts as well. 502-414-1450. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. Welcome back in. Wednesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450, the Big X. Sean Moth in studio. Uh, a lot of good stuff there about Josh Hurd. The text line blowing up with, uh, with Sean's take on Josh there. People love hearing that, especially with it looking more and more likely, I would say. I don't want to you know, read into anything. Just this is a outsider's perspective, but it seems certainly... More likely than not at this point, I would say that Josh winds up being named the the full-time AD whenever that decision is made, likely early in the summer. Uh, I'm sure UofL will do their due due, due diligence. We'll use that phrase again, the the phrase of of the year so far. Necessary. Talk to other candidates and and move on. But it's it's hard to not see Josh getting the job at the end of the day. And and maybe people are a little bit apprehensive because it was a job that kind of went to Vince Tyree by default after he was the interim. And uh, you know, maybe some people don't like the the hires that were made or whatever that happened over the last four years. But uh, Josh, I think has has done what's been asked of him so far. He's been very impressive in press conferences. He got the guy that a majority of UofL fans wanted him to get in a weird position, being the interim coach. I, I keep saying weird position, but we're the only school that has experience with this. You know, we've had interims across the board in both hirings of the men's basketball coach. Well, all I can think of when you say is he should get the job is, well, I, I think it'll be up to the people that make that decision who i don't know who, who? They <laughs> yeah. the board of trustees i guess the uh, I, I mean that's i love getting uh, the question especially man. from it's one thing when you get it from uofl fans because we're all sort of in the same boat but when outsiders will hit me up 
you know, like do a, come on my podcast, talk about the situation at Louisville. And they'll be like, well, you know, walk me through the process here. Like, who are the people making the decisions? I'm like, buddy, <laughs> quick Google search. will let you know that nobody freaking knows. Like I mean, we have no idea. It's, it's, well, I mean, we had the interim president throughout the first pitch the other day and I didn't, I didn't know her name. Like I, I just, and again, I'm, I'm so detached. I working there full time. I had such a better, you know, finger on the pulse of everything that was going on. And I, I think it's, I think it's been kind of mentally a break not to have to worry about a lot of that Understandable, stuff. Understandable, for sure. But at the same time, I just, I, my, my passion doesn't, like, I, there, there's a lot of people in that athletic department that I adore and hope things go extremely well for, but I just don't. It's, it's not, not all in place. Now, you know, I want all the kids to win, and there's still some stragglers here and there that uh, I did games for, and it's fun to see them, and it's fun to have them reach out to me. But it's intriguing. I, I. I can't imagine that the court of public opinion would be too happy with Josh not being named. And and I think the only other thing going back to the coaching hire that the, the point I, I didn't make is from an optics standpoint, not to wait till after the final four. That's why people are like, well, they clearly didn't talk to any of the big names. No, they talked to all the big names they needed to. This was the right hire. I mean, you mentioned the list of coaches that have been to a final four and the, the list within that list of, of candidates that seem viable is small. Because yeah. you've got a group that just aren't going to leave where they are because they're they're old and they're Hall of Famers and they're not going anywhere else. You got a list of, of coaches there that aren't even in coaching, some of them, or yeah. that have fallen so far off the face of the earth that you couldn't reasonably hire them. And then you have that middle group, and out of that group, I think that pretty much all of them were contacted in some way, shape, or form. And the search committee, Josh, the search firm that was hired, all got their information you know got yeah you, you, that's why you hire a search i mean isn't the list basically drew cronin and and kelvin sampson maybe see i don't even i think kelvin sampson has let multiple suitors know that he's not interested in going somewhere else he feels like he's building something great at houston i think with muscleman i think the search firm came back with said this dude's kind of insane <laughs> you, yeah. you might not want to bring him in given the lack of stability that's been within the program for the last uh, well, few and, years and let's keep in mind that tyson chicken and walmart sams are in the backyard in fayetteville <laughs> there is, are not deeper pockets in the country in an athletic department and that was outside what of maybe oklahoma state what everybody said with muscleman and what everybody said back in 2018 with muscleman that people that i trust said you can get him he will go to louisville you're going to have to probably overpay him. Mm. And the word, the number that was tossed around was, I mean, he's being paid well at Arkansas, oh. not as well as he would be paid at a, a place like Louisville or Kentucky or, or one of the other Blue Bloods. You're going to have to pay him a million dollars more per year yeah. than Arkansas would pay him. Yeah. McCronin, buyout was enormous. He was going, I, I, anybody who tells you McCronin wasn't interested in the Louisville job doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I, I say that definitively. Fact. He was willing to hopefully work with U of L and UCLA to try to get that buyout down a little bit, but that was going to take a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it probably was going to be too much work for a guy that a solid portion of the fan base was going to be a little bit lukewarm about. Yeah. Now maybe that changes if, depending on how UCLA does this weekend, Fact. but yeah. But at the time, like if you hire him right now, I, I think you've got a portion of the fan base that is less excited about Mick Cronin than they are about Kenny Payne. And, and Mick, like Kevin Willard, when he came back to coach, it was fun to interact with him. He was always really nice to us. When he was announced as the new Wizard of Westwood, I thought it was the second strangest fit in college Everybody coaching did. next to Steve Adazio going to Colorado State football. <laughs> and we know how that worked out. But i got to give Mick credit. Obviously a phenomenal first year. And, and you know, he, he's obviously a really good coach. But I, I still just... 
I, I like think to myself, Mick Cronin's the head coach at UCLA. You and, and Mark Titus, my guy who does Titus today, <laughs> he, he had a thing going when they first hired him where every now and then in the middle of an episode, he'd be like, I just remember Mick Cronin's the head coach at UCLA. <laughs> and it just, I do a double take every time. Because when you think, you know, LA and yeah. Hollywood. I lived out there for two years. Showtime. Like, you don't think Mick Cronin. It just, <sighs> it doesn't seem like it would work. And yet he's making it work. Like out there. Mick Cronin should be the head coach at Pitt. Like yes. Steel City. Or Cincinnati heart, for eternity. Yeah, for eternity. Because he is Cincinnati and his dad and that legacy there. So, But like, all those guys, I think that they were vetted. I think that there oh, was no talk. question. And when you got the list of people who will absolutely take this job, if you talk to them and the money's right, one, they're not clear head and shoulders above Kenny Payne. Like there's no, again, there's no Rick Pitino in 2001 candidate that's out there. Mm-hmm. And two, you're going to have to pay all of them pretty much more than you were going to have to pay Kenny Payne. And and for anybody that wants to sit out there and say, oh, you know, COVID and all the cuts and all the, you know, the people being let go and the money and, you know, the buyout for P- Petrino and, the, you know, there's, they just don't have a lot of money. I'm here to tell you, look, this is the men's basketball program at the University of Louisville. Josh Hurd and the board of trustees and the university were going to do what they needed to do to put the best possible coaching candidate in place. And if it was going to cost money, they were going to find the money. They were going to find a way to get the money. And I, I've heard Trevor say before, there's, the money's always there. It's always made me laugh because that's <laughs> not always true. But in this case, with the single most profitable program in men's basketball, I mean, folks, you have to understand, too, like ticket sales last year at Yum Center were way below what they've been. Yep. And so this needed to be a good hire. And for people that thought that Kenny Payne was got on the cheap, uh, no, Kenny Payne was the best candidate for this job based on the candidates they interviewed. And they interviewed a lot of candidates. And that's the coach moving forward. The money was there if they needed it. It's not there to just, oh, let's let's expand this facility. Here's $10 million. Unless you say have a, you know, $52 million buy. Yeah. We'll just throw that number out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nico Medved, that was going to be tough to, <laughs> to pull him away from Colorado State. I just hope he doesn't end up somewhere else. But uh, I was glad K-State made the hire they did. We just need to yeah. keep Nico and Fort Collins a little He's longer. He's the real deal. What's your take on, you mentioned the attendance there, and, and the I think the Courier Journal ran the story near the end of the season where the announced numbers, which were extremely low relative to the standard that Louisville basketball has set for decades preceding us, were still about double what the actual number was. I mean, we had home Louisville men's basketball games against ACC opponents where there were 6,000 people in attendance. As bad as things have, have gotten in recent years with just you know the scandals and the on-court results, I still, having grown up at a time when you could play anybody mm-hmm. and you were getting 19,000 people at Freedom mm-hmm. Hall, and it wasn't a manufactured number, it was there were 19,000 people there. You yeah. can count the number of empty seats. Absolutely. I never I, I never thought we'd get to a point where it would be that low. That was the most astonishing thing when I took the job, is to be at the first exhibition game and to see 16,500 people at Freedom Hall for a basketball like, I mean, we're having 2004 like, red-white scrimmage crowds. Are we, are we kidding? It's, are we it's, kidding? It's, and that's the way it's been. Where do you think, I mean, because it's not just about what has happened with the program. Attendance, it's been a story across... Every sport nationally for the last several years, is, it's been going down for a myriad of reasons that I think everybody listening to this can reel off off the top of their heads. With Kenny Payne, you expect a bounce in attendance with any new hire, unless it's somebody that everybody hates. How good can it get? Like, I don't expect us to get back to the pinnacle of Rick Pitino attendance. I don't expect 22,000 yeah. for games against 
Murray State or whoever would come in here in November, no disrespect to the Racers. Sure. How good can it get? Well, I, I guess I don't know this for a fact, but I'm not sure that the Yum Center has ever been sold out. I'm not sure there's been a single game at the Yum Center where if you wanted to go to the game and went to the ticket office right at tip-off, you weren't able to buy a ticket. Could you get four together? No, no. I'm sure there were plenty of you know big games, but I don't even know that that Butler game was technically sold out. I don't know. I, maybe it was, and maybe somebody can call in to, to you know change that. But a lot of times tickets sold you know, is the number, and so that means... That's why a lot of coaches want season tickets because then you can announce at least that many at every game. Um, in a lot of cases, it's a scan number, and I'm sure the scan number is probably what we're looking at. But and this is the speech I probably gave last time I was in this seat, and I've given to a lot of people, and I'm probably tired of hearing of it. But I can sit home, 55-inch flat screen, cooler full of cold beer that only cost me, you know, $17 for for a case. And I drink cheap beer, and uh, well, not all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's New Belgium. Um, but uh, the restroom's right there. I get analysis. I can change the channel if it's boring. I can, you know, do something else at halftime. I can have people over. I can make my own wings. I can make my own food. I don't have to park. I don't have to walk. I don't have to pay a seat license. This is an impact being felt from Louisville, Kentucky, to you know, the, Vermont, to Washington State, it's to. Everywhere. It is you're you're fighting a new battle, and if you look at the trend in minor league baseball that's starting to move into some of the other professional sports, you are having venues, and then Nashville is a great example where down in the right field corner there's cornhole, there's a giant full bar, and people that want to go to the game but don't care about baseball can go just socialize and, and drink and have a great time, and so you're you're having to fight this. I just I'm gonna it's so much cheaper to stay at home and I can still be a fan and. What about the experience downtown at the Yum Center am I going to miss out on if I stay at home and watch the game? That, To me, ultimately, that's the question. And it used to be with a crappy television that, you know, yeah, it's an easy answer. You, there's so much to see. But now, what's the answer to that question? I'll ask you. What's the answer to that question? What does the experience, you know, outside of if it's one of those Miracle on Main games that you yeah. can say, I was there. The last game at Freedom Hall, I was there. You know, there is a social aspect to it and being able to be around friends, especially if you have a season t- ticket holding pod that maybe that some of your best buddies and that's your time to be with them. But I think that's the question being asked. What What's the experience like in venue that's going to make it better than what I can do at home? I, I think the most dangerous thing about having sustained periods with lack of success right now is that the main reason to go to these games is the shared experience. Yep. And so it becomes contagious when when your friends stop going to games, when the people that you used to sit with, everything that you got to know just because, hey, they're in my row, we've been, have, we had these season tickets for 10 years, when they stop showing up, yeah. it makes you more likely to go. Because all everybody knows the advantages. It's everything that you laid out. Mm-hmm. If you go to a Louisville men's basketball game that's a 7 o'clock tip-off standard, it's ESPN, ACC, Wednesday night game against uh, you know North Carolina, it's your whole night. Absolutely. You, you don't get home until... After 10 o'clock. And it might be your whole budget. It might it might be your whole budget if you want to you know get drinks beforehand. Like it's good. like that that's what you do. If you go home and watch the game, the second it's over, whether you're you know pissed or, or really happy, you get to move on. You get to do other things. And I was at a forum. This was like five years ago when this was kind of starting to become a national story. The, the dwindling attendance and the the other people that were there. I was the only media person at this thing. Everybody else there was involved in athletics in some capacity, and they were saying. 
you know, our biggest challenge right now is appealing to millennials. Like, like what can we, what can we give them with the game experience that they can't get at home? Yeah. And, you know, the answer was like all I could give them was like, it's the shared experience. Absolutely. Is, because for minor league games, the cornhole stuff, the the drink specials, like that works. Yeah. But for men's basketball, like it, the focus is always going to be on the game. It's not a sideshow. Like mm-hmm. that's where it has to be. And for instance, this year, like we went to the the Notre Dame game, not just because I was doing the the Russ Smith Q and A afterwards. I, I would have wanted to go anyway because it was the Russ Smith game. Absolutely. And you can get things at that game, being there, hearing him talk, hearing his dad talk, seeing the entire presentation that you can't get from being at home. Pretty much every other game, like you're not missing out on stuff like that. Although social media does a really good job of filling in some of those it, blanks. It, it helps. Now, for I, sure. I, I wasn't there. I went to one basketball game last year. I was invited to a suite um, for the first exhibition game of the year. And by the way, any listeners that have a suite that want to invite me to football or basketball, hashtag invite Sean. I, I would love to go. But uh, but that was it. So I, I don't have a fair, you know, assessment of things. But but it's I don't know that this is going to sound weird too, and it just popped into my head, but. Do we have to analyze the fact that over the last 18 months or two years now, I guess it is, that people more and more don't even have to leave their home to go to work? And yeah. so that, quote unquote, leaving home outside of getting groceries and which you, you don't, don't do even anymore. have to do We've anymore. Done that a few times, trust me. I mean, we're, we're starting to, the, 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 the trend was already in place with DoorDash and with some of those things to not have to leave the comfort of your home. When the pandemic hits and we had to be home and we discovered that, oh, we we don't need to rent this million dollar building for 27 offices. We can just everybody can work at home and we can use that money as profit. And we don't have to have our big annual meeting in Texas and rent a hotel and fly out there and stay four nights. We can just do it virtually, which I, I work at Videonics. They do that. It's amazing. Uh, you know, call Videonics. I'm putting in plugs. But <laughs> it's uh it's one of those situations where do do we do we have to look at the fact that the pandemic has put us in a position where home is home is much more of a valuable asset than it used to be? It changed things more than they already were changed. There's there's no question about it, and it's why I keep to answer the own my own question that I asked you. Like, I think there absolutely will be a bounce back in attendance. Oh yes. I don't think it's ever going to get back to where it was. No, no chance. 10, 15 years ago, be, because. I mean, I think about how much of things have already changed even before the pandemic over the last 10 years. When we got football season tickets, it was Charlie's first year. All of my friends got season tickets. Yeah. We all, we tailgated, we planned like your entire day around it. Now, I mean, all, pretty much all my friends have small kids. You yeah. just can't do it anymore. And Now, that is a six-day commitment. It is. It's not a 20-day commitment or 25-day commitment. A season ticket for football is a little different. So football attendance maybe has a chance to sustain a little better than some of the other sports. I think it does in a game-to-game basis. Like, sure. I think the big games, you yeah. can still do them the way that you did them back in 05. When it's 98 degrees and you're playing Murray State. Oh, let's pick on Murray State today, shall we? When Four we're racers. playing Murray State. They just lost their coach. Um, yeah. we're, we're bastards. But 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 the football game, maybe you do skip that one. No I, question. I mean, that's the thing is now like season tickets from a just feasibility standpoint. It doesn't make sense for somebody in my position with no. my family to get season tickets when I can get any single game ticket I want outside of maybe, hey, if we're number one in the country and Clemson's number two on November 20th, like maybe that's going to cost me a little bit more than my face value ticket would have been with my season ticket package. But basically any other game, if I decide, hey, we're pretty free this Saturday, let's go ahead and make this thing happen. It's cheaper for me to just to buy those tickets for that one weekend than it would be for to have those tickets in my season ticket package for that weekend. And you have the freedom to buy two, three, or four, depending on yeah. the age of the kids, whether that's the first football experience. You know, you get the opportunity. Yeah. So 
I, it's intriguing. I, I, our apologies to the Yuval marketing people who are listening to this who are like, no, 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 no. Well, the, stop the, doing this. the best marketing tool is a winning team. We've always said that. Damn right. There, that's always been the case. And if you look at attendance at baseball, I mean, I sat through games at Old Cardinal Stadium where you could seat 30,000 people. And if we had a good day and there were 700 people there, it still looked like it was awful. And so, you know, when teams start to win, more people come to see them. Like the men's soccer team had good crowds. When we played UCLA for a chance to go to the Final Four, 7,000 people came to Card Park. Yeah. Like it, it's a no-brainer. And so those shared experiences when there's more on the line mean more. And I think we're – I think you're probably going to see this is a lot like old Major League Baseball marketing, like like beach towel night with the Padres was always – all right, who's the worst team in the league? Who's Who are people not going to come out and see? We need to drive bodies to that game, you know, and usually it was probably the Rockies. But, you know, the the, the premium giveaways were, were such a focus in, in those old marketing days where, you know, you got the fireworks. Like when I was a kid, fireworks were special because it was only on the 4th of July. And now no offense to every minor league team in the world, but... I mean, I could literally drive around the country and probably see a new fireworks show every other <laughs> night. And so, you know, these mar- marketing tools aren't as, it's not as easy as it used to be. And so I I think you're maybe going to have to see incentives in, in that manner, whether it be the giveaways or some other things. Yeah. Free weed night against Georgia Tech coming in 2045. Oh, they in they the do state. that at Colorado State. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who are we kidding? They they have a you can major in brewing beer at Colorado State. When UNLV comes to town, that's, oh, that's what we're doing. We, we're having the breweries out, we're having the weed out. It's going to be great. Show up to the stadium; it's going to be fantastic. We got to go to break. We got one hour left with Sean Moth uh, again, Texas. We'll get to some more texts coming up after the break. I know we've left the text line hanging a little bit, but 502-414-1450. Hour number three of the Mike Rutherford shows on the way next. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hadn't, if Trevor hadn't texted in to let me know that the only the outro songs were part of the year, I would have been uh, like, there's no way Meet Virginia and Every Day were in the same year. I, I, I don't know a lot of music history, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Buddy Holly, which by the way, the Buddy Holly Museum is in Lubbock, Texas. Is it really? And I only know that because we played a regional there. The Day the Music Died, 1997. Mm. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, that plane crash was a lot later than I remember. <laughs> it was right after. Uh, you, I'm not going to go there. My favorite thing, do you remember this? When you went to Lubbock for that regional, Yeah. we had you on the radio show, the old radio show sure. uh, on 790. And you'd only been in town a day. And I jokingly said, "Have you? has anyone brought up the famous Texas Tech-Texas football game with Michael Crabtree? Because it's all that Texas Tech ever has. It's all they ever talk about. And you said, you were like, it's funny, like you mentioned that we've been in a restaurant for about 30 minutes. Somebody brought it up that we were just talking. I can't remember the exact story, but you were like, actually, this isn't even a joke. Yes, it happened right when we got in the first place we went. I'll tell you, the next night we went to a different restaurant, and and I, I there are not a lot of moments in my life where I've regretted not saying something because I'm, you've, you've people listen to me. I pretty much say what's on my mind sure. all the time. So we're in this restaurant. It's like me. You know, the sports information, um, I think marketing was there. Kenny Klein was there. 
Uh, I'm not sure who else, but there were videographers. There were six or seven of us in our Louisville gear at this sports bar. Nobody's there. And there's this, uh, this young lady who looks like she's fresh out of college and she's doing trivia night and she gets on the mic and just rips on Louisville because she's a Kentucky grad. Mm. And we're going, you're really off to the right start. Because let's see, of the 17 people in the restaurant, you and the bartender are two of them. The wait staff is uh. three of them. And we're seven of them. And I, we walked out of that place. Like, we all chuckled. Aha, that's hilarious. I walked away and I was like, I wish I'd have just stood up and said, so what you're telling me is that a Kentucky education allows you to do trivia night on a Tuesday at a bar in Lubbock. <laughs> well, if that's not a poster for going to UK, I don't know what is. I love it. So uh, it's the third hour of the Mike Rutherford show. I guess I should say that Mike Rutherford here with Sean Moth in studio. We've had a blast for the last two hours. I'm sure we'll have a blast for the last one. Before we get into the uh, topic du jour, I want to remind you guys, Big X golf cards, they're here. They're beautiful. They're fantastic. Go to BigXSportsRadio.com. You'll see the golf card tab at the top of the website. That's how you can find one. This golf card gives you access to five courses, Chariot Run, Old Capital, Elk Run, Valley View, and Christmas Lake, all located in southern Indiana. You can play all of these courses for under $25 a round. That includes cart. It also includes, I should have included this uh, tidbit before, free brag of a free free brag, free uh, basket of range balls. There we go. There you go. Got it out there eventually. BigXSportsRadio.com. And again, if you don't have the internet, if you think this whole fad is going to die out in like five years, if you don't have a computer, you can still get your Big X Sports Radio golf card by calling 812-725-1457. These are a limited amount. So if you want to snag one of these, act quickly. Uh, Sean, text line has a, a bunch of questions for you. Nobody wants to talk to me when you're here. They all want to talk about you. <laughs> They're all, a lot of these are just saying how much they appreciated you giving your, your honest thoughts on, on Josh Hurd. I thought that was a great spiel. If you want to hear that, if you're just joining the show right now, find the podcast, podcast 1450 big X, wherever you are. I always retweet it on Twitter as well at cart Chronicle. Uh, Texture says, and I know, um, Trevor has texted in. Trevor just says, are we just not going to acknowledge that Sean just ran off the entire list of active coaches with the Final Four without pause? That was freaking amazing. I was reading from the list. I, I mean, mean, come on. Please. I, I, I couldn't name four of them without the list, but I appreciate your – see, I, th- there's the mythology there that just people need to wake up. Sorry, you Sorry see, Trevor. You talk so <laughs> eloquently, and you've got that voice where it just I, I just assume that everything you're saying is right off the top of your dome. Well, and honestly, I, I think that's something that people – the person that complimented me on the, the having the, the little-known facts – let me just tell it like it is. I, I, the flip card's in front of me. Like, every stat's in front of me. I, if you saw me set up for broadcast, for baseball, I have an opponent stat pack, Louisville stat pack, Louisville flip card, uh, opponent flip card, the scorebook, a computer. My computer tabs for game day have uh, RPI for us, our opponent, the live scoreboard, the ACC standings, the weather, Twitter, stat broadcast, and then I usually have the year before stats up on the wall. Like, I, I, I'm on the radio for a reason. Nobody's looking at me. So, yeah, I don't know anything off the top of my head anymore. I don't want to know I this. like Fresca. I, I, I don't want to know how no, the we, we, we've made. got to, We've got to, this, this is the Wizard of Oz. Let's pull the curtain back. I want to believe that you know who the founder of Framingham, Massachusetts was, off the top of your oh, head. Oh, Bill Framingham. Bill, of course, Eddie Framingham, 1862. Uh, Texas says, Sean, how did you get into announcing? I'm guessing someone didn't just walk up and say you had a voice made for the PA, or did they? You know, it's interesting. I, I always felt like I wanted to get into some level of sports broadcasting, and when I was playing sports as a kid, it was, hey, everybody sign up for T-ball if you're five and older. And I was always four. Like, I, I, I have a late birthday. So I could never play with my classmates. 
So I didn't get started like in elementary school with athletics. And I played like a little bit of soccer in middle school and I played a lot of basketball in high school. And I had, I went from like five, nine, my sophomore year to almost six, two and realized that I could dunk a basketball. And I, I like, I have some athleticism. NBD. I have some athleticism. Um, I'm kind of a two tool athlete. It's the vertical and the arm. That's about all I've got. That's all you need. But I, I did not get into athletics the way I wanted to. And I always wished I had, because I, I feel like I, I have a skill set that would have allowed me to play high school and who knows, maybe small college. I went to a small school played pickup basketball with the guys on the team and I, I played with them, but these guys were like 12th man on Pasadena Muir's state championship team. And I'd never been coached. So there was no chance, but I was always into sports. My dad at a young age had me watching, you know, the Packers took me to Colorado Rockies hockey games, which has always been my first love. Saw the nuggets a few times, Colorado state. So sports was a passion at a young age, but my career path in high school kind of changed into performing arts. Uh, I did a lot of singing, did a lot of performing, did some song and dance, uh, was in an acapella quartet in college and high school, actually took a semester of college off to sing for a living with the Rocky Mountain Oysters. Um, Here comes trouble. It was, uh, you're not kidding. Uh, we were ahead <laughs> of our time. If we had been able to be on whatever the sing-off or whatever some of these shows were, if we had social media, I would like to think the four of us maybe had a future. But You basically started Glee. I mean... You're the reason why that show became popular. There was a sports bar, or sports bar, there was a bar in Denver called Acapellas, and we used to sing at that place. And uh, there were some really good groups at the time. But this is in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, What'd and you sing? What's that? What'd you think? Well, like, I was the bass. Like songs. Um, everything from Under the Boardwalk to you know, oh, like I love old, old doo-wop songs to uh, we had a really good cover of Prince song that's little known called When You Were Mine. Uh, we did some Queen. We did we did some traditional barbershop. Um, Thank God for Kids was always one that filled the old tip jar when you had the uh, families out on the streets. I just uh, imagine every acapella group doing for the longest time. Just we, over and over. We, we sang that. I, I, we, I knew we, it. We sang that. <laughs> we sang that. It wasn't our best. Uh, we sang, uh, yeah, we sang some Oingo Boingo. You we, said good. Yeah, I, you know, I can pull it up on my phone or my computer sometime. You I want to hear it. We sang National Anthem at Mile High Stadium for a uh, minor league baseball game, but we had our name up on the board at Mile High. But anyway, awesome. long story short, sang, performed, had a microphone in my hand since I was in seventh or eighth grade, and there was a... There was a theater professor at California Lutheran University my freshman year who was just talking about how I had a great stage name and and I had a voice that commanded the room. And I was like, I, I've never heard anybody tell me that before. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I had a senior girl that said the same thing to me when I left a message on her voicemail at her machine because I had to call her about a rehearsal or something. And she's like, oh, my, my roommate said this guy with a sexy voice called. And I was just so <laughs> taken aback that I really never felt it was that much of an asset and that got me into majoring in communications and exploring it. And it was, I mean, I, I was in the right place at the right time. I, I did, I walked into the, the Colorado State radio station and said, you know, I want to work. And they said, you can produce. And I got them, a, I got the former AD at Colorado State on the phone for him. And like, they had no idea I was even trying to do that. And I wrote his name on the board and they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, he's on the line. They're like, seriously? And so volunteered, became program director did play-by-play -play on the radio for high school football and basketball, Colorado State volleyball, women's women's basketball, did a couple of men's basketball games. The PA guy at Colorado State got sick. Somebody else filled in, and I didn't think they were great. And so I said to the Kenny Klein at Colorado State, who filled in? And he was like, oh, it was my assistant, Jim Miller. And I felt terrible because I knew Jim. But I was like, he's like, why? I was like, well, it was, was kind of vanilla. He's like, well, do you want to do it? I was like, okay. 
You Wally Pip Jim Miller. So poor Jim Miller, um, West Sergeant, doesn't do a game. My first ever PA was a Division One men's basketball game, and it was Colorado State against UTEP and the Hall of Famer um, head coach Don Haskins, which was kind of cool from Glory. Yeah. So I did that game. The Nuggets had an exhibition game that same year at Moby Arena, and it was uh, the Nuggets and the Pistons. Grant Hill, Rodney Rogers, rookie year matchup. They asked me to do PA. The entire Nuggets staff was working the game, except for me. So I got to know the Nuggets people. They're like, you were awesome, dude. Do you want to fill in for Nuggets stuff? And I'm like, you know, I'm 22 years old. I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, it, they called me once. and It was the same night I was supposed to do the national or the regional broadcast of the Colorado State men's basketball game on the radio. So I had to say no. But the avalanche came to town. And I called my buddy Tim McBride and said, hey, you know, are you guys looking for PA? They're like, yeah, I was going to call you. And I did the first exhibition game. They told me we were, they, there were three finalists. Each was going to do an exhibition game. I did the first exhibition game. It ended. They're like, uh, can you do the next one? I was like, yeah. And the third one, they're like, can you do the next one? I was like, yeah. And then I was going home from the third one, and I was like, do I? will you let me know? <laughs> Somebody else <laughs> and they're did like, these games? They're like, oh, no, you got the job. I was like, okay. So 24 years old, I was a PA voice of the Colorado Avalanche. and Quebec's lost. Launch your career. I had uh, I the had villain Tom, of French Canada. I did have Tom Jurich to thank too, because wow. he gave me opportunities at Colorado State, and he also knew the uh, one of the uh, vice presidents at uh, at uh, Ascent Sports, Sean Hunter, who he probably put in a good word for me. But I'm very blessed. Very blessed. I loved one of the things that I loved that Russ Smith said when he was asked about you know how because I I started up asking the question on the radio, and then I asked him at the thing at the Yum Center. Your freshman year, your story's well known. Like you contemplated transferring, you were very close to transferring. You were a seldom used player, and when you got in, you were kind of erratic. Like Number twenty four. Yeah, didn't put in all, put, didn't put up a whole bunch of numbers. How do you explain going from where you were in the middle of that season to this place here right now? Fifth number retired in the history of one of the most storied men's basketball programs in the history of the sport. And the first thing that he said was a little bit of luck. Like I, he, you know. Guys got hurt before the start of my sophomore year. We go to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. I'm able to play off the ball because Kyle's hurt. I think Chris Smith was hurt. A couple other people were hurt. And Patino was not. He's like, he's like, Coach P was was dead set on me being a point guard. I'm too small to play the two. We've already got Peyton. You know, I, 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 I've got to be his backup. I don't shoot the ball well enough to play the two. They never would have given me that shot if those guys hadn't been hurt and I didn't get my shot in the Bahamas and scored 7,500 points against the bellhop and, and the real deal shockers and all those guys. <laughs> but he says, and then, you know, the season comes along. We have some guys get hurt in the season and I get a longer leash then. And, you know, the, the Florida game, the, the Elite Eight game, Peyton fouls out. Yeah. It's my show. Like, yeah. I, it's sink or swim. And I asked him, I was like, well, how'd you feel when that happened? He goes, I was terrified. I hated it. He's like, he's like I, I thought I was going to fail. I, th- I thought I was going to sink. And, I don't have the confidence my junior and senior year to put the numbers I do if I don't have all those breaks my sophomore year. Yeah. And I think, you know, people ask, ask me, I'm sure not as much as they ask you, you know, I'd love to get into sports media. Like, how did you get to where you are? And the best answer, it's a combination of, like, I, I did work really hard for a long period of time without a whole lot of benefit, both financially and otherwise. Yeah. But also just luck. Like, the timing that I started doing this was when, right when sports internet was starting to boom a little bit. You're obviously are going to make a bigger impression if you're the first one through the door, one of the first people in the door. And I kind of had the first, I'll use the air quotes, like they used to with me, the blog yeah. that people started reading and that they got into. 
And now it's easier to get eyes on your stuff. Sure. It's harder to maintain them Absolutely. because people have a, there's so much stuff out there oh. and there's a list. There's only so much you can read in the current day. Yeah. And so you're going to go with what you've been used or what, you, what you're to. used to. Yeah. You're going to go with the people you trust. And to already have that established audience in 2022 is you have to have it just because people aren't going to change all that much now. So absolutely. Like if you're going to get to a certain place, you can say talent, hard work, sure. All that stuff. Luck is almost always going to be a factor. Absolutely. And it's, well, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's the talent and hard work where, where talent and hard work meet passion with some luck. That That's the difference maker. I, <laughs> I finished up college at Colorado State in the communication program, and a buddy of mine named Ken Blackman was, and I don't say this out of arrogance, but he just he wasn't as talented a broadcaster. He put out resumes to, and this is back in the old lick a stamp, print it up, fold it up, send it out in the mail. Mm. He, he sent resumes to like 200 radio stations across the country, and he was from Philly, and uh, I mean, I had already started working, I'll use their quotes there, because I was volunteering, and then made $5 an hour. Um, working the board for Broncos broadcast and that type of thing, but but Ken applied to hundreds and hundreds of stations and never got a call, and he ended up selling insurance and never got to follow his passion, which was sports broadcasting. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, I just walked in the door of the radio station and made them hire me, like I just I, I made it happen. Like they were talking about Oval James, the AD, former AD, who was now at Pitt at the time, and so I just did a called information because there was no internet and found Pitt's number and called him. And, uh, you know, you just, sometimes you have to just bust in the door. Russ, I nicknamed Russ the tube his freshman year because there was just no distinction from his shoulders to his ankles. <laughs> he just looked like a tube of toothpaste. And uh, he wore number 24. And I'll never forget when he had that game at Rupp, I think it was his, his sophomore year, we went off for like 28, like nobody else showed up. I was like, you know what? I'm never going to complain about Russ Smith again. I'm going to let him do what he does, and if it's bad, great, but he can do that, and he needs to be able to have some freedoms to be able to be the best player that he is. I think and you I, and Rick Pitino took the same I literally, I yeah. literally, at that day, I was like, I'm never going to complain about Russ Smith again. Let Russ be Russ. Let Russ be Russ. Texas says, don't get me wrong, I love TK, but Sean Moth is an awesome guest co-host. He actually talks more than Trevor, which I didn't think was possible, and it's about <laughs> Louisville athletics, not Arby's and wrestling. Uh, Texas says, the Doré Migos with, Sean group, with Sean's group. Hmm. Uh, Texas, sorry if someone else has already asked, would Sean consider, uh, it has been asked many, many times on the text line, but I walked into it, so I'm going to have to finish. Would Sean consider basketball and or football PA positions if asked at UofL? I, uh, I'm pretty confident that my last day of PA is behind me. And uh, the, the Keith Auto 3, I think, will probably be the last call I make. Great way to go out. I, I can live with that. I, I think it, if the Avalanche wanted me back, I would consider it, but honestly, I, I I looked into the Rockies job back in, I don't know when it was, I think it was 07, and had some conversations with them, and they were encouraged and thought it'd be a good fit, and I said, what's the pay? And they said $150 a game and four season tickets, and I'm like, that's why I left Colorado. <laughs> like, I, I'm not 24 that, anymore. That's not worth moving to, so, um, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of has to be a side job, and and I should probably, uh, Dugan's probably going to hate me, but I'll put in a shameless plug. I mean, I am freelancing these days, so if your business, hey. big or small, hey. has a, an on-hold system or a, a, a an answering machine or answering service that needs a new voice or some TV or radio advertising or internal or external videos, I do some writing too, so, you know, track me down, keep me in mind. But You are also, we both are, but you 
more recently than I am on Cameo. I did get on Cameo, and that was it was interesting because I kind of did Cameo without knowing I was doing it when the pandemic started, because the the baseball marketing folks asked me if I would be willing to call kids plays because there was a time where people were like calling like cat fights and like like radio and tv talents were calling just any old like you know a water dripping down the window or something yeah. and so they, they were like okay let's have kids submit videos of them playing baseball in their yard and then i'll make up a call over the top of it and so we did i don't know we did 10 or 15 of those and it was just fun to know the kids were having some fun with it and i, I didn't realize until i'd done a few cameos i was like i've already done this but I, I didn't get paid for the first ones. But, yeah, Cameo's been fun. And it's uh, the funniest one is when one of our former pitchers was in a giant fantasy football league with, like, 10 former Cardinals baseball players. And he literally sent me the list of players and said, it's playoff time. Everybody's really stressed. I need you to just absolutely roast every single <laughs> one of these guys. And so I was like, Drew Haynes, you have less hair than I do. Like, I'm just trying to make stuff up as best I can to all these guys who I have tremendous respect for. But, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a fun it's a fun thought. I, I have trouble imagining anybody I'd want a cameo from or would be willing to pay for a cameo from. But if people think that's cool for us to do. Yeah, the I'm ones that I would want are all way out of my price range. I, I'm like, yeah, I, I've bought a couple for friends that are just, like, I get Ryan McMahon roast my buddy's golf uh. swing, which was great, like, right when he got on there. But the the story that I always tell, um, when they called me to do Cameo, we had talked for about 10 minutes before I realized that they wanted me to do it and not just, like, get <laughs> people from UofL. Like, you I, thought you were recruiting. I thought like, this guy was like, uh. I, you know, I, used to, I used to be a student at UofL. Like, I remember you, like, you know, how much people, like, talked about you and read about you and, like, all this stuff. And you obviously have your connect, and so I was thinking he wants me to like you know text Terry Rozier and be like, hey man, could you get on Cameo? And then I'm like, oh, you want me to do this? That's awesome. And so when I got on, I was thinking like, if I make a hundred dollars off this thing, then yeah. I'll be shocked. And I made more than hundred dollars, which is great. But for the most part, it's people who are like, we love your daughter. Can you get Virginia to wish my wife happy birthday? And I'm like, I I can try. She's unpredictable. We'll get her in the the frame. We'll try to make it happen. Darn it, Eric. Why aren't you younger and cuter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the key to the cameo. She's bringing in the big bucks. That's awesome. Uh, I, but they, also, they have gone down significantly since actual players oh, yeah. can be on cameo. I'm yeah. like, yeah, two every like five months. Now. Yeah, I mean, it's I, fine. I don't I don't really hate. There was an initial splash, and then I uh, shameless. I'm not good at plugging myself, but I put out a plug for Valentine's Day. Like, you know, hey, if you have a loved one that is a big Cards fan, or if you just don't have anybody, you know, whatever. So hit a home run they, with Sean. They hit waves. I, I've done some starting lineup, you know, people and home run calls for people and that type of thing. So it's all in good fun. Texas says, thank you, Sean, for your thoughts on Josh. What do you make of this faction of UL fans that are jurich or nothing and seemingly put out negative thoughts out there about Josh? I, I've talked about this before, and when the whole jurich thing started, the main reason why I didn't want to talk about it, because I, if if you want Tom Jurich to come back and be the AD at Louisville, completely reasonable position, sure. I think. If it's going to be a discussion... If he's a candidate, if Josh is a candidate, if Devon Thomas is a candidate, if anybody, if Sean Moth's a candidate, yeah, sure, let's hash it out. Let's talk about it. But the whole like breaking down other people and propping up, it's nothing. If if we don't even know that Tom's a, a, a feasible candidate, we haven't heard anything from Tom specifically himself coming yeah. out and saying like, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love the job. I, I'm putting my resume out there. We haven't heard anything from U of L saying we're interested in bringing Tom back. Like he would be one of the guys we would talk to. None of that. Yeah, and I'm fine with with highlighting Tom's accomplishments because Lord knows there are plenty oh. and I think they deserve to be viewed in a maybe more positive light than they have been for the last few years. But the one thing that I've hated about this 
are the people that have gone on various forms of social media and tried to bring Josh down in the, in the process or diminish what he's done or what he was doing back in the day. Because yeah. that's it, it's totally unnecessary. It does no good. It doesn't cast more of a positive light on Tom. And I know you think it does. And it just further divides a fan base that right now doesn't need to be any more splendor than it's already been and that it has kind of become in the last few years. Like yeah. That I, I do, not, do not care for at all. Yeah, let me make something clear. You know, me talking about Josh was just my informing the listeners of what the guy does and how well he does it. Right. It, it, whether it was a plug for him to be the AD or not, uh, I, I, that was just me talking about how unbelievably well he ran the championships. You know, Tom brought him <laughs> yeah. to Louisville. And I, I wasn't saying that is a, you know, in terms of I'd rather have Josh than Tom because I guess I'm like you. I, I know Tom well enough and, and I know the family well enough that I'm I'm guessing there is some level of interest, but I, I'm, I'm probably of the thought that he's probably not going to pursue the situation. It would be one where the, he would need to be pursued, I would I think. think. And accurate. so I don't, gosh, I mean, to have Tom back, I mean, I can't even imagine because, you know, this is a program that almost got kicked out of Conference USA for crying out loud. So the fact that he was able to usher the team into the Big East, usher the team in the ACC, hire all the coaches he did, build all the facilities he did, I, I mean, I owe personally – not all of my success, because I'm proud of the hard work I put in, but I owe a lot of my success to Tom Jurich. Mm. I came to Louisville because he called me on the phone and said, I need you. Like, I always joke with people, like, I was, you know, I was like Rick Pitino. I couldn't tell Tom Jurich no. <laughs> like, I had my dream job. I was doing PA for the Nuggets and the Avalanche. I was 28 years old. I was in my hometown. I had just moved to Denver after living in Fort Collins. My parents are there. My sister's there. All of my family is west of Colorado. I have nobody out here but... I'd have a chance to work for Tom Jurich, and I knew what he did at Colorado State. And his goals at Colorado State were interesting. You know, he wanted he wanted every team to have a record above 500. He had you have to understand where you're at to set goals. What are the expectations? What are the goals? You know, he wants everybody at Louisville to compete for a national title. You know, it's just a different it's a different boat. But by no means was I plugging Josh and or talking negatively about Tom. And I hate that we get there. And here's the thing. It happens. If you're a Louisville fan, then you're a Louisville fan. Exactly. It doesn't matter if they, you know, if they hire Russ Smith as the AD or or Devin Booker. You know, you're you're a Louisville fan. And... If you decide because of people you don't want to be a Louisville fan anymore, you 100% have the right to do that. But I even had the conversation with Vince Tyree, like about I'm a Vince guy, I'm a Tom guy. Mm-hmm. Let's just be a Louisville guy or gal. I said the exact same thing. There was a because when the whole Tom stuff was at a fever pitch, when when people were making the posts and and all that stuff, and you know I was talking about Tom, I was talking about Josh, two people. I know Tom a little bit better than I know Josh. I respect the work that both have done. I think Josh has done a tremendous job in the last few months of the interim. I obviously think Tom did a fantastic job while he was here. And I'm trying to talk about it. And there was a whole, people send me screenshots of a message board thread where it's like, I think Rutherford's actually team Tom, but he's not willing to say, he's not willing to bash. He's acting like he's team Josh. And I had to say that exact thing that you did. I'm not team Josh. I'm not team Tom. I'm team Louisville. Yeah. If Whoever is going to get us in a position where I'm not talking about who our next coach is going to be on March 10th, as opposed to what seed we're going to be in the NCAA tournament, yeah. is who I want to take this over. Like, like I, I just, at, at my core, I'm a simple person. Yeah. I want to be happy. I want to make as many other people around me as happy as possible. And I want the Louisville Cardinals to be good at sports. It's all I care about. It's all I'm about. 
and I guess Tom's not even in the forefront of my mind because I've just never gotten any vibe that there was any reality to that coming to fruition. I, I don't know. I think he'd have. To, I think, like you said, I think he'd have to be approached. I think it would have to be perfect. I think in that scenario he would listen, and even then, there's no guarantee. And it's why it's never really been worth having a lengthy discussion in my eyes. And I had to talk about it because you look at the text line, oh, yeah. and, you know, whenever that was going on, like mid February, 98% of the the 5,000 texts are asking about the Tom Jarrett situation. But if he's a, if he comes out and says definitively, like, yeah, I'd love the job. I want to be a candidate. And if U of L turns around and says, we're interested in all candidates, including Tom Jarrett, then, then yeah, let's you, have that talk. Are you kidding me? I mean, let's, let's put it this way. There, there's my family in terms of people that, that mean something in my life. And Tom's just right outside that circle yeah. in terms of the most important people in my career. There's, there's no question about it. Texture says Moth is the man. I went to a wedding at uh, Brown and Williamson Club a year ago, and uh, years ago, and he officiated. He was awesome. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, that was fun. I uh, <laughs> you never officiated a wedding before. I had officiated one. My uh, this. Uh, I need to be careful how I say this. I performed the ceremony for my cousin. <laughs> I didn't marry my cousin, but I, I performed the ceremony for my for my first cousin back in Colorado. And Colorado state laws are such that you can do what's called solemnizing your vows. And all you have to do is sign a marriage license and you're married. You don't have to have an officiant that's actually ordained. Kentucky's a little different. You have to be ordained, much like Chris on the radio on Northern Exposure, one of my favorite shows, he's he's ordained. And I told the person that reached out to me after Rick Pitino and Charlie Strong said no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kid. Not really, though. But <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll do it on one condition. You find the place I get confirmed and ordained. And then I'll I'll sign up and I'll do the performance and the, and I'll perform the ceremony. But if I do it, if I vet it out, find the site, get ordained, perform your wedding, and 18 months later it turns out they're a fraud and you're not legally married, I'm not wearing that on yeah. my shoulders. So sat on my computer at work, lunch break, tap tap tap, literally three minutes I was ordained. It was hilarious. Got a certificate and and yeah, performed the ceremony. It was a it was a very um, you know, not heavily religious, but I, I I did my research like I do with the flip cards and found the ring symbolism and actually learned a lot about the wedding process. Like the whole candle lighting thing is from the African villagers where the bride's family and the groom's family would take uh, flame from their fire and join them together to start the fire in the new home. Write this like, down, everyone. It's really cool. So, yeah, that was fun. At least you didn't do, you know, Webster's Defines Love as... <laughs> I was I was tempted. It was funny because when I did my my cousin's ceremony, I'd never met her, her fiance, who played football for Fisher to Barry at our Air Force Academy, nice. and is like literally one of the smartest people in the world right now, working some crazy job, and he knows like federal secrets about aliens and stuff. It's terrifying. Fascinating well, guy. Oh, fascinating guy. But he won't talk. But uh, never met him. And so the 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 brief homily, and I mean it was brief. The wedding was 25 minutes total, but. I just talked about trust and how important trust is in a relationship. And there's no more trust than having some stranger do your wedding. Like if he <laughs> trusts his wife-to-be to have some idiot he's never met perform the ceremony, that's a high level of trust. So. My sister briefly had looked in when she was getting married to me officiating the yeah. wedding. And I looked into and it's going to pay more. And like it was, I think, more to do in Kentucky than, than what you're talking about. My only demands were I want the Stone Cold Steve Austin glass break intro when I walked down <laughs> and I wanted to be wearing some outrageously large robe. I, I don't, I, I just, I wanted to look like a judge from an old timey, like 1820s mm. England movie. Maybe about with England. the hair to the wig, the I powdered would, wig. Exa- maybe not that far, okay. but perhaps I would see how it looked, see how the outfit You'd looked. You probably just still have to stick with the ball cap because you yeah, kind of exist. That's, that's exactly, that's that my way. brand. What, I what like are you going to say? Uh, Texas says, what is the link between Kenny Payne and Nolan Smith? Well, they, dads were, were, were friends. They, 
both were Cardinals. They were, I know they didn't play at the same time, but I assume there's a relationship there. Were they pro teammates? That that I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember when Derek passed. It would have been after Kenny played in the pros. So I guess they could have technically played at the same time on the same team in the NBA. I'm not sure that they did, but... There's just the, the Louisville. Time. I mean, no one Smith has, yeah, yeah. Nolan Smith has ties to everybody at yeah. U of L, like all the guys from the '80s, because of who his dad was and and, and when he played. He so. passed in '96. Okay, so. so that's that that's the link. Warriors, Clippers, Kings, Sixers, Celtics, and then as a coach with the Bullets. So I'd have to look at Kenny Payne's resume, but yeah, obviously there's something there. It's Texas, uh, and also I mean, you run in basketball circles long enough now. Oh. I mean, Nolan Smith is an assistant at Duke, which is you know, one of the two biggest programs in college basketball. Kenny Payne was an assistant at Kentucky, which is probably the other biggest program in college basketball. You're, yeah. you're going to run into each People other. People have point. no idea how much time coaches spend with other coaches. Yeah, I mean, that's, on a well, recruiting that's all trail. they do. Like yeah. baseball showcases, it's ridiculous. Texas says, I was listening to, I think this is actually a KRC text. We will read it. I was listening to <laughs> Jay Kyle Mann talk yesterday, and he said he doesn't necessarily think that Cal's offense is that bad. It's just his personnel is not right to run that offense. Do you think Kenny Payne helped match that personnel with that offense? Well, if the personnel is not right, then what are you doing? I mean, they may have had – people talked about them having the best backcourt in college basketball this year. I, I thought when they were healthy, Ty Ty Washington and Severe Willard were tremendous. And then they have the best big man in college basketball, maybe the best overall player in college basketball in Oscar Sheeway. The issue was – maybe the biggest issue for them down the stretch was Kellen Grady just lost a shot. I mean, he was their marksman. He was the one guy that they haven't had in some years past that could knock down outside shots with a high degree of consistency. And over the last three weeks of the season, he just lost it that's the whole when you don't have to respect an outside shot and you have to focus on a big man you just muddle up the paint you want my hot take yes i've had the same hot take on on kentucky athletics since i got here in 99 i don't care <laughs> I, re- I really i i feel bad too but i just for all of the fans like it, it well i think the question is more about kenny payne bringing john calipari's offense here understood yeah. understood but i it's just it's funny to me because there's an obsession with the the rivals like the you know the L's down there is phenomenon we we had a player that enrolled on campus with Louisville baseball for a fall and then left and he played for Lipscomb and he tweeted out L's down yesterday <laughs> and I just made me laugh yeah like you went over three with a strikeout but okay yeah, fair enough you guys beat us straight yeah, up whatever yeah. Uh, it looks like that maybe um, Kenny and Derek played with the 76ers for one season. Okay. I, I well, think I'm seeing that. There you go. 89 to 90 and, yeah, 89 to 93. So. Texas says, uh-oh, Hoosiers down to merely two head coaches. I'm not sure if this is a response to uh, kind of a blast from the past, a guy that Chris Mack was recruiting heavily, Christian Lander, uh, who ended up going to Indiana, has played sparingly the last two years, announced uh, about an hour ago that he's in the transfer portal. Hmm. So not sure if that's a reference to that. But Christian Lander, if you want him, He's out there. Not sure that Kenny Payne does, but we'll see. Texas does Kane, does Payne have an automatic extension to his contract if the NCAA drops a hammer on U of L? Mac would have gotten years added if NCAA banned U of L. I thought it was interesting that Payne's buyout drops only if he goes for an NBA head coaching gig. I did think that part of the contract it stood out to other people too, which was his buyout is different if he takes a different college job than it is if he takes an NBA job. And I guess that's open to interpretation. The initial interpretation that many people had was it seems far more likely that he would leave for an NBA job, and that's why it's put in his contract this way. I think you could also say it's like the old rule about not letting players transfer to schools within your conference. 
you want to make it higher if he's going to go to a different college because, hey, we're Louisville. We expect right. to be back among the top tier. If he's going somewhere else, it's going to be one of a handful of schools that we're competing with for national titles. So, yeah, we're going to make it cost them more than it is if he wants to go coach the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that makes perfect sense on its face. I, I have trouble envisioning what program would pull Kenny Payne away from being a head coach. If he hasn't been a head coach to this point and now he's coming home to coach his alma mater, I, I, I struggle to understand that, you know, Jay Wright's hanging it up, he's going to Villanova. I just don't. I there's only him. one that people would be worried about. I, absolutely. Yeah. I understand that, but I, I don't. Make the buyout like $50 million for them. Well, there's the clause. Make it make it happen. Uh, Texas, my brother-in-law was shocked that your show is a sports talk because everyone seems so calm. He listens to a lot of Big Ten Nebraska sports talk. Yeah, we're not doing the, hey, shut <laughs> Ah, the bug eaters. There's some passion out there in Lincoln. <laughs> Holy cow. I did The other thing about your spiel telling your backstory that I meant to say when you when you finished was I now know definitively that uh, Sean Moth's your legal name, not just a made-up stage name. Yeah, I, I, I never really thought of it as that cool either. Pretty cool. I guess it's okay. Two syllables. Bam. Yeah. Shum off. Done. Although, let me tell you something. You want to see something funny? I uh, 29 years of living in Colorado, 28 years of living in Colorado, never once did I have this happen to me. I come to Louisville, and to this day, I could probably find a, an email on my phone. Um, people call me Seth constantly. Really? When I went to the Cosida convention for the first time, my name tag said Seth Moth. My and I think they pushed together the S E and the T H for my first and last name. Must but, be. But it be, it became an inside joke, like on staff at Louisville when I was working in sports information, that people call me Seth because so many people, uh, literally, I think I I just uh, when I signed my contract with Learfield to do baseball games, she's like, here's here's the details with the direct deposit, blah blah blah, Seth. My name's on all these emails. Like my signature says my name, and I I I, I call it out. I point it out anymore because it just it makes me laugh. But I. To never get it for 28 years and then just to literally have it happen once a week has just been crazy. So We do love butchering names here. I mean, you think about even the players, like basketball players that we have followed, we'll follow them for four years. We will hear announcers call them by their correct pronunciations forever. And you'll still have like Louisville fans who are like, Shane Benahan, like, I, I don't know about him. Like It's a, crazy. A Nas Mahmoud. And I'm like, do we are we not paying attention, guys? Well, and, and let me just tell you that one thing about that is I went right to the athlete every time. And and to this day, one of the proudest things I have is that Mohamed Lashage says I'm the only person that ever said his name right. I, I and I God, what it's a good such one. a Joseph Sima. It's their name. It's the kid. Like, yeah. I when I was with the Avs, I went to Stefan Fisse, who played played goal for the Stanley Cup champions in '95 '96 behind Patrick Waugh. and I asked him if he was Stefan or Stefan, and he's like. Stefan, Stefan, I don't care. And I was like, <laughs> it's your name. Like, what's your mom call you? I am tired. But. Uh, yeah, names are funny. I I got in trouble here when I moved here because I thought that you know it was Versailles and well, uh, Saint Bernard, and so I had to learn the you know the first question I asked before I took the job is how do I say Louisville, and I thought that was crucial. I thought it was important that I say it the way people here say it because I grew up with Billy Packer and Al McGuire calling it Louisville. Well, you know it's it is named after King Louis, so it makes sense Absolutely. that it's, it's Louisville. Yeah. So like, anyway, like for sales. I yeah. Yeah, St. Saint, Saint Bernard. St. Bernard. There were a lot of those. Every name in the state. like it, It's supposed to be pronounced a certain way that's derived from something in Europe or, or something long ago. Oh, yeah. We've just wrecked. And that's fine. We're going to do what we're going to do. We do that all over. I, I love this question. Texas says, what UofL basketball does Sean, player, does Sean think of when he thinks of his three call? He says, for me, it'll always be Taekwondo. A lot of people say that. I, I It's the first name that comes to my mind. I, I think I always had fun with Larry O'Bannon. Because the follow the E up with an O is kind of fun. But yeah. um, 
And and Larry was kind of low key one of my favorite players of all time, just because I loved his his frame, his style, his build, his game. Um, I, maybe there was a little Terry Rozier in him. That's a good question. I Which guess Beast Wolf, for God's sake. You know, Jordan was fun. Yeah. Three war because he, he hit a lot of them. Quan four. Luke. Give me some yeah. Luke. I loved saying Luke, whether it was Whitehead or Hancock. Yeah. More Hancock than than Whitehead. Yeah. At yeah. least from three. Well, you know, except that magical Conference USA tournament. I think, yeah, God, MVP. I think of, I think it is three, Dean. Like, saying it in my head now, it, that's the one that I still remember. And maybe it's just because there were more of them, but also the three just flows perfectly into the Dean. Now, financially, I think I wish it had been Chris Brickley, but I, I don't know. The, he, <laughs> he, I kind of wish he'd give me a call to do some voiceover work for him because he's done pretty well for himself. It, I'll, the other funny thing about that is I have had some players who played very sparingly, like the Keith Autos of the world, and have come to me and said like that was one of the biggest thrills of their career and I'm I'm just I'm really taken aback by that but it's at the same time it's really flattering that you know a, a role as inconspicuous and unimportant as a PA announcer can impact a kid like that so sure yeah, that I mean cool. John talks that my name when I was a kid one time and I still think about it all the time it was, it was fantastic uh, Texas it's been almost 20 years and Louisville fans can't pronounce Lafours it's always Lafours. Oh. Here's the thing, though, about that is I used to give because every time somebody, a Louisville fan would say it, I would wince, whether it was like a phone call. I'm like, it's LaFleur's. And then when Petrino came back, he always said LaFleur's. I'm like, you coached that man for three years. I almost wonder if it's like Wolf, like people that can't say the L in Wolf. Or maybe you get a lot of people that go with frustrated, like the R just disappeared. You've never heard somebody say they're frustrated? No. What? Because it's like Joey on Friends. What's the one that he has? Supposedly. I almost wonder if it's somewhat like that. And oh man, Stefan was maybe my favorite football player before we got to the Teddy Lamar. He's the best. I loved watching him play. Texas, this guy's way too professional to be on the show. (laughs) Agreed. I can try. I mean, (laughs) Texas. Texas. Another butcher name was Palacios. Uh, Palacios. That was just Vern Lundquist. Just could not say it. Oh. And just gave up after a while. Palacios. Well, that's the classic. You know, Harry Carey was a master of butchering names, and and his was. uh, Greg Maddox's personal catcher for his last couple of years in Chicago was Hector Villanueva. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it was Hector, Hector Villanova in <laughs> Venezuela. <laughs> I, I interviewed Harry Carey. Did you really? Yeah, at, on the on the field at Mile High Stadium before uh, Rockies-Cubs game. And I asked him what he thought of baseball at altitude. His first year of Rockies baseball. And I won't do my Harry because you heard how bad it was. But he literally said to me, he looked me in the eye and said to me, I'll tell you what. A Budweiser tastes the same here as it does at sea level. I and I swear it. to you, so cool. that's exactly what he said to me. And I, my, that was it. I, I probably could have retired right there. How mm. mad did you think Javi Lopez used to get about not being able to catch Greg Maddox? I used to <laughs> always wonder. I'm like, how does it, like, you know, because they would turn over, like Greg Olson, and then they would turn over. And I'm sure Javi Lopez was like, surely to God they're not going to let Paul Bacco play every I fifth mean, day. And they did. It's, it's crazy because I... And I, obviously, I'm really biased, but I look at the Dodgers, and I know the metrics say that Matt Barnes is a really good defensive catcher. But if if your quote-unquote platooning catcher is hitting cleanup, yeah. why is he platooning? I don't know. The year they won the World Series title, Will Smith led the team in on-base percentage and OPS, and he's platooning. Trade the guy for a less impressive backup catcher, get something in return. Not that they need anything. I hate the Dodgers, but uh, yeah, that's crazy. Texas, the amount of people that uh, continue to spell Patino, P-I, as Patino, P-A, after all this time is concerning. You can usually spot them because they're trying to rip on Patino and True. they're fans of a different program. True. In my mentions, like, 
Hey, Patino. You also will see every now and then a little P-E-T-I-N-O. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrino was misspelled, Petrino, too. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was always terrible. I tell you, can Sean explain the whole Mikhail Malik Cunningham thing that happened like four years ago? Oh. He went by Mikhail for like a month, and then it was back to Malik. So, I walked into the press box the day of whatever game that was, and Rocco Gasparo, the sports information director for football, told me that he was now going by Mikhail. And I was like, are you serious? Because <laughs> this midseason. It, ca- it came out of nowhere. Like, are you serious? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. He, I was like, this is an April Fool. Like, you, you Kleins, you guys are putting me up to this. I'm going to I'm gonna say his name four times in the first quarter, and then you're going to come in and be like, all right, we were just messing with you. No. We're totally serious. I went into Paul Rogers' booth. I was like, Paul, did, did you guys hear the news about Malik? And they panicked, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I said, he, he's going by Mikhail. And Paul's like, what? <laughs> I said, you need to talk to Rocco. And so I honored it. You know, it's a young man's name. I'll call you anything that's not going to get me arrested. I'll call you. You know, that's fine. You change your name legally, whatever. That's fine. So I I went with Mikhail and social media. You would have thought people just immediately thought I had a lobotomy and had grown to be the dumbest individual in the face of the earth. I remember and hearing it over the ripped on me. I remember hearing it over the PA. I'm like, what is going ripped on? on? Like, on me. Sean like, knows his name. There's no way. Like, what's happening? And and I doing PA, you're not in a situation like you know on the radio where you can say, listen, <laughs> attention, everyone. I will be saying his name properly. <laughs> Trust me. Wink, wink. Yeah. So we do the game, and I I I had some fun because I've had some people troll me, and I I pick and choose my spots but i i don't mind like quote tweeting someone that just says something egregiously bad and and just just making them look like the biggest idiot my only reservation there is i have a modest number of twitter followers it's enough that if i do something like that to someone people get really papa bear mama bear about people they like and just go after the individual and i don't ever want that like let my statement be the one that does it but i it's very rarely and Usually the, the coworkers at work are just like, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, you pick your spots. But the funniest thing about Malik McHale is he went back to Malik, obviously. I emceed the postseason banquet, and uh, this was new because Scott Satterfield introduced this postseason banquet that year. And so I'm emceeing the banquet. They did a highlight film, and our video rule usually in the industry is three minutes no longer because people's attention span just Sesame Street taught us that 30 seconds or more, you, yeah, you drift. So videos, three minutes, you do it. They ran a, like a nine-minute highlight video that showed every game sequentially until it got to the last game of the year. There were no highlights from that game. People probably know why. Uh-huh. But I, I got up after that, and I don't I do not do a lot of prep for banquets because I think it has to be organic to be fun. So I got up on stage. I said, uh, you know, the one thing I took away from that video is uh, – is Malik was really, really good, but man, McHale was really good. <laughs> and I got a pretty good laugh. And uh, But I, I hated that because I knew people were just going to think I was an idiot. So there it was. So what I always got told, like what happened, he was doing an interview and it came up about his middle name and how he, who he was named after and how he always, he's like, I liked that name more than, than my given name and like always kind of wanted to be called by that. And the interviewer took away from it that he wants to be called McHale and Malik didn't really know how to stop it once that tweet got out there, and like the it just kind of it, it, it rolled. Up. It was not supposed to be this full-on name change, and like he he was too kind of like shy of a kid at that point in his, yeah. in his college career to step up and say like no no no. And so everybody rolled with Mikhail for a while until he quietly kind of was like, can you guys start calling me Malik again, please? I lived in so much fear of saying the wrong name 
at any point in any game. Like I, I, I never wanted my. I mean, I, I'm a huge perfectionist when it comes to anything I do. So I never wanted to make a mistake. When we had to worry about Malik Williams, Malik Cunningham, there was another Malik on the football team. There was another Williams on the football team. I mean, it was a nightmare. But that whole name change debacle was crazy. And I, I always, I always kind of felt for him. But can we talk about the fact that? He's going to be a top five, top ten Heisman Trophy candidate this fall. He's going to be up there a lot. That's I mean, exciting. Preseason for sure. That's really exciting. The weird thing though is the quarterback position is still even losing Kenny Pickett and a couple other guys in the ACC is so strong. Like he's going to be on a lot of Heisman shortlists. He may still not be preseason first, second, even third team All ACC when those lists come out. It's we joke. The way it is. That was Will Smith syndrome. His his final year at, at Louisville at catcher, there were four first rounders that were catchers in the ACC. It was uh, Zach Collins, um, let's see, the Chris Oakey, I think, at Clemson. Holy cow, now I'm being tested. Somebody thinks I'm in it, an idiot. I, there were, there were a couple other guys. Right yeah, now. Matt, Thie- Matt Thice out of Virginia went to the Angels. And, uh, Who's the yeah. fourth, Sean? And Will Smith, uh, Will. And Will, Will <laughs> was not even third team all ACC that year, and he was a first rounder. God. Yeah. Maybe that's why, because like him getting drafted so high. It kind of surprised me a little bit. It kind of took me back. And then him being the one out of that group that was the first one to really splash at yeah. the MLB level, just because you didn't hear as much about him and, as, as some of the other guys, not only in his league, but on his own team. Well, it was two things. One, when he came in as a freshman, the dude, like, base runners were like 5 of 19 against him on stolen bases. Like, the kid had a hose from day one. As good a defensive catcher as we've had. Scout day his junior year. All the scouts come to Louisville. It's like October as many scouts as you want, 30, 40, 50 scouts, cross-checkers, and the kids run the 60, they get timed, they take BP with a wood bat, so you expose things. Will Smith, it was a laser show. Really? And I'll never forget it. So that was the kind of the, okay, let's keep an eye on this kid. And then postseason ACC tournament, when you play in the triangle, there's so many baseball pundits from the media standpoint and scouts that he caught fire, and he literally went from top five rounds late in the season to first round like within a three-week span. I just remember being a crazy ascent. We've uh, we've already missed our, our break this hour, so we're not, we're just not taking it. We're having too much fun. It's fine. We're we're good. Uh, Texas says, where does El- Elvis uh, was Elvis cool Doomerville Sean's favorite football player name to call? I I think it probably had to be. I just remember you. This is before like I knew you. But, like going to games, I got so excited when he'd make a big play because I knew it was coming. You do the Elvis cool Doomerville. and that was him i mean i, I, and I had no idea that was his name i always wanted to be sure that i got that and, and a lot of times i would find out nicknames from other people i remember when uh when i, I had a nickname conversation with howie Lindsay, and he was joking that amobi okoye's nickname was amobi Wan, <laughs> like the star Wars. i had no idea but i tried to i threw in some automatics yeah. Uh, Coach Crackthorpe didn't want me to do that anymore, so no, I quit doing it. No but fun. I did do a three Carmody when he walked off Rutgers. Had a boy. It was the only time I ever did the three call in football. Nobody heard it because the place was going crazy. Shout out to Art. He's probably listening yeah. right now. We love, love him. Love Art. He's the best. Um, yeah, Elvis is probably up there. And and I, I had a special place for him, too, because he went on to play for the Broncos and was just epically awesome. Texas, how bad did Sean want Jawan Pass to complete a pass to Kane Pass? I did not. <laughs> I, I hated handling that. And every, people were texting me, how are you going to handle that? And I, I think, as I recall, I said pass complete to, and I, yeah, I was never, I never wanted to say passes pass. There was too much strunk and white, you know, just uh, train wrecks going on in my head. Texture says, does Mr. Moth have any opinion on the percentage chance of U of L landing DJ Wagner? Any updates on this? Mr. Moth. <laughs> Every single day, it's going to be DJ Wagner. I mean, he, <laughs> all I know is. When Jalen Withers played for Louisville and I had done his dad's games at, at Charlotte, I felt I old. And now there's a grandchild who's who's got games. 
I, I'm not, I don't think I'm ready for this. I do remember the moment that we signed Jalen Withers, and they're like, his dad actually played at Charlotte. I immediately was like, don't tell me it's Curtis Withers. Seriously. I mean, he graduated college after I graduated college. I mean, did he play with Diego Guevara? I mean, he was after, well after oh, Diego Guevara. See, and that makes me feel even older. He was on the teams that we were competing with for conference championships. Like the, remember the the famous uh, Larry O'Bannon Senior Day? Yes. Where we needed to win that game to beat them out for the regular season championship. Reverse alley oop that day. Yeah, and Larry mm. dropped like 34 mm-hmm. and went nuts. Like Curtis Withers was on that team. Okay. I think he was a younger, he graduated in 08. Do we know Charlotte. if there's any relation to Bill? Like, the singer? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, ain't no sunshine. Maybe. That's a jam. They're fantastic. Uh, Texas says, the thing that I remember most about the Louisville Purge, a.k.a. the day Mike got married, <laughs> was the radio scanner reporting some dude on, like, Dixie Highway stealing some beer and a pickle being the highlight of it. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I, I didn't know any of this was going on. I was going to say, I would hope you don't have any memories of anything other than the amazing day with your wife. I was having way too much fun to, to, to really kick, check on that. Uh, Texas says, Ross again. My wife and I's wedding day was UK upsetting U of L in Crack's first year. Oh, that would be bad. We had a projector at our wedding reception showing the game. Literally, Stevie got loose as we were about to cut our cake. It was a huge kick in the nards. Oh no! That would have been. Oh. Full disclosure: I hated it when we played Kentucky in any sport, and it was a home game. Texas, tell Sean I'll send him some new mechanical pencils. Yeah, I had some struggles the other day. I'm good now. I appreciate that. Uh, Texas, you guys, have you ever watched the TV show Brockmire? You're talking about baseball hmm. movies. It's a great baseball TV show. I think that's Hank Azaria. And I remember when it came out, I really wanted to watch it. And like the list of 47 other things, of which I got through about 18 of them I, in the I pandemic, know. I've Same. still got a bunch left. Texas says, uh, this is Zach. He says, Sean did my wife and my wedding intro. It was a dream come true. Thanks again, Sean. Just wanted to say it. My pleasure. You know, a lot of people are like, uh, well, you know, we... You can come, you can bring your wife, and we can get some drinks. And I'm like, hey, how about if I just record it and send it to you? Gosh. I, I'm glad you're doing Cameo because you used to always just do that stuff for free. And I, I, I get why it's... I still do, but yeah. You shouldn't. You, you deserve to be paid. People are paying for your voice. or They're, well, they're, they're signing up for your voice. I, I offer to do it for free. There are people that pay me. I will say that. But I, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I should get an agent. Maybe that's on me. Texas, how about Carly Jones? Did you see the uh, the numbers he's been putting up for the Texas Legends? Yeah. the I retweeted it earlier today. I mean, last, if you're just looking at these last six games, 14 points, 12 assists, 7 rebounds. Mm. 21, 11, and 6. 22, 12, and 6. 30, 6, and 7. 16, 15, and 7. Mm. 39, and 5. 14, 12, and 3. He was... the. I hate that a lot of things that happened in that 2020-21 season happened because, you know, I'm a Louisville fan. Yeah. I don't like missing the NCAA tournament. I hate that we kind of wasted our Carlick Jones year. Yeah. Because in a normal situation, quote-unquote normal, no pandemic, basketball team is playing the way they should be playing. Like, he never got to experience what a real big-time live environment at the KFC Yum Center is, yeah. which is why you go from a place like Radford to a place like Louisville. Yeah. Every other box to use – I keep using the, the check in the boxes phrase. Like, he's one of the more successful – up transfers in in the history of the transfer rule. Yeah. Like he came here and not only was successful, he was the runner up for ACC player of the year. He's the best player on our team. Never got to play yeah. in the NCAA tournament, never really got to play in a system that I think highlighted what he did so well, and at the end of the day, like we wasted him. Yeah. We wasted him the way that Indiana kind of wasted Romeo Langford. And Fair honestly, enough. Carly Jones was better in his one year here than Romeo was in his one year at IU. Crazy to say that in hindsight. And it's, I'm glad that he's having success at the next level. I hope he gets a, another run in the, in the league because he's he deserved it, man. That, yeah. that kid was an absolute workhorse. Um, I know we got to get out of here a little bit early today. We've got a show coming in after us. But, Sean, can't thank you enough for coming in, man. It's always a blast. Next time you come in here, 
I don't know if it's going to be before, after, or during the playoffs, but we're going to be excited because the Colorado Avalanche are either about mm. to win the Stanley Cup or they've just won the Stanley Cup and we'll be celebrating. Terrified. It's going to happen. I, I feel good so. about it. Uh, thanks so much to everybody who listened, who texted in. We're going to have a fantastic Wednesday night, and then we're going to see you guys tomorrow right here at 3 o'clock. Enjoy the Wednesday evening. We'll see you tomorrow at 3. Come out, Virginia, don't let me wait. You Catholic girls start much too late. All the sooner or later, it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one. Well,